what is that, Ted? I don't know, Bill. It's the Legion of Superheroes! Dawn Star, Bouncing Boy, Comet Queen, Reflecto Star, Finger Spider Girl, Validus and Mano, Persuader, Time Trapper, Dominators, Grim Boy, Duo Damsel, Lightning Last, Super Moby Dick of Space. So, what's next? Uh, I don't know. Something about Arm Falloff Boy? This is Shag's deal. Okay. They're all part of the Legion! Who's who? Yo, Saturn Girl is hot. Alright, folks, we are back from break, and Siskoid's still here with me. And now we are joined by the Legion of Superbloggers' fearless leader, Little Russell Burbage. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Yeah. I can't believe we made it this far. This is it. This is the <laughs> final issue. Issue number seven. It is, uh, it's taken a long time to get here. I will freely admit that's all on me. Uh, ten months to cover seven issues in over three episodes. I am terribly sorry, folks, but this is it. We're finally, finally here. Now, we've introduced each of you on previous episodes and we've done the whole shtick about who, you know how you found the legion all that so really let's just start wandering into this final issue what do you say guys that's good that sounds like a good idea i figured i'd get at least some kind of groan for that i mean given what given the, the quote-unquote headliners of this issue anyway issue number <laughs> seven of who's who in the legion of superheroes cover dated november 1988 release date was july 26th 1988 thanks to mike's amazing world of comics for that information now quick note on the inside back cover they do have a note this is see you in 30 years well, do the math on that, folks. That gets you to 2018. So I guess that just means the next volume of Who's Who and the Legion is coming out next year from D.C. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I look forward to it. At the very least, maybe we'll get an ongoing for the Legion or even a miniseries. We'll get something for the Legion. Jeez. That would be awesome. Ugh. Yeah. Continuity has been rewritten so many times by now. Who, who knows? Who knows if that's still in the works? I, and, you know, at this point, who really cares which version of the Legion they publish? Just give us a mm. book and make it good. Yeah. You know, I mean, clearly yeah. we've all, you know, been able to handle other versions of the Legion. Just give us something, please. <sighs> oh, well. You know, we've been called Rainmakers before. Maybe finishing up this miniseries is going to make it happen for us. All right. Issue number seven. This cover is a little different from the previous ones. This is like the worst game of Hollywood Squares ever. It has <laughs> a lot of boxes with all of these little heads representing presenting every single character that was covered in Who's Who in the Legion. Oh my gosh. Did you actually go through and verify that every character that was in this series is on this cover? I did not verify that every single cover, every single okay. character, no. But I did refer to the index, which is in the back of the book, and I did sort of like spot check to make sure it actually goes in alphabetical order. It does start with an A character and end with a Z character. Uh, yeah. It does appear to cover almost everyone, if not everyone. It does cover 271 characters. Oh! Uh, the, these boxes, and when I at, when I originally did this Legion prep work, I, I tried to figure out how many characters were in the book, and that is about approximately the number I came up with, so I think it's pretty darn close if it's not accurate. Yes, it features a little tiny squared head of every character on there. So, gentlemen, you guys are the Legion experts. I will leave it to you to discuss. What are your thoughts on this cover, and why don't you please address the issuists? We'll start with you, Russell. Uh, I'm sorry. I was putting on my uh, Tommy Tomorrow angry pants, and <laughs> I will talk about how this is probably the ugliest cover uh, of all seven of them. 
film, which is saying something. Uh, I hate it. Uh, <laughs> it's not very good. The heads are nondescript. There's some mistakes like all over the place. Like, for example, Chameleon Chief has antenna and he's not supposed to. And it's not really in any alphabetical order that I recognize. I mean, I rec- I realize that it's it's the index list, but like the luck lord, that big eye, kind of the lower center, is next to Duo Damsel. Ah, and well, that. Why is that? Why because is that? Because her first name is Lordu Dugor. Dugor. Yeah. But why why is her first name there? Why is she there? You know, and it's like the Wanderers and the Legion of Supervillains and the Devil's Dozen and all those characters that were listed as groups are listed here as individuals. So you can't find them unless you realize, remember their names. And it's just it's just it's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Siskoid, perhaps a different opinion. What do you think? <laughs> I kind of like it. There we go. <laughs> I mean, it's amusing. There are some fun bits to it. Yeah, I, you know, one fun bit that they sort of missed is to actually put Duo Damsel or Luornu three times. She could have been at D as Duo Damsel, uh, under L as she is here, and then under T as Triplicate Girl. So there would have been yeah. three on the cover. That would have been fun. Oh. Uh, but, but they do have a double header in two spaces, so the cover both his brains. Oh, has he got two right. spaces? Really? Yeah. Oh, he, he does. Right right under right the word right the word super. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The happy, the happy one, and the pissed off one. And then there's I, there, there's two protes that look exactly the same. These were drawn by Mark Wade, by the way. So <laughs> I wondered if those were his. I didn't take the time to actually find his work, but I saw that he was credited in the index. So yeah, so I wanted to see who who did. You know, when I saw that, I said, well, that that's pretty cheap because they're exactly it's just the same drawing twice. So I went yeah. to check who the lazy ass was and uh, Mark Wade. So yeah, okay, of course, yes, this is something I could draw. It's you know. A writer could draw this. <laughs> See, I love I love the Prote one actually. That made me laugh really hard when I noticed how identical they were. And then I remembered Mark Wade actually did the Prote entry earlier in Husu, uh, right? For the Legion. So I wondered if maybe they just photostatted that, or if he drew a new one just for this cover. Because you know, I don't. Did we even mention that that all of the not all these heads, but a large number of these heads are done by different artists? It's not one artist who did the whole thing. It's a lot of different artists that did this. Yeah, my favorite by far is the Moby Dick of space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's on the back cover, say. like left upper left hand oh, corner. Yeah. You can just see. His teeth in his his eye, and you're like, who the hell is that? Oh, it's Moby Dick, of course. Super Moby Dick of space. Oh, pardon me. Who yes. looks like a giant pickle in his in his entry? Real quick, here are the names of the artists that did on the cover: Brian Augustine, who's also a writer; Colleen Duran, Grant Meum, Kez, Mark Mike Carlin, also an editor; uh, Mike DiCarlo, Mark Wade, an editor; Richard Bruning, Robert Campanella, and Ty Templeton. You can tell some of them are really nice. Those are probably the Ty Templeton. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a varying quality. I mean, they're tiny. I mean, it's amusing. It's that's that's all like we can I can say about it. It's not you know it's not a great cover, but among the covers that we've seen, I think it's a nice wrap up of the series. It is got it is celebratory certainly. Now something interesting, Chris Franklin, also from our Fire and Water Podcast Network, sent me in a picture he snapped in like a I don't know whether it was an antique store or a junk shop or comic shop whatever it was, but somewhere in there they have a framed version of this cover, and I you know I couldn't quite tell from the picture, but it sure looked like poster size to me. Now have either of you guys ever heard of this? thing as a poster before no no i have not that would be awesome because if i if i could find a copy of this poster i would certainly send a copy to each of you so you could hang on your walls because you love this thing so much so i mean it clearly be a treasure for you two thank you <laughs> I, I i treasure it no problem <laughs> all right well since you two are both so enamored by this cover let's get moving what do you say <laughs> okay all right let's get into something better this this introductory story yeah uh it, it's not better <laughs> 
<laughs> it is a bit true, folks. It is fair to say, uh, I don't think any of us would argue that this issue does go out with a bit of a whimper rather than a bang, but that's probably more to do with the characters that are in the issue than necessarily the issue itself. On the inside front cover, you get the index like we normally do with the artist. However, you also get a guide to the family of the Legion, which are covered in the 12-page story I'm going to talk about for just a second. It's the Nick Field Show, and the gist of that is, it's well, it's first of all, it's written by Ty Templeton, who I absolutely love Ty Templeton as an artist. Uh, it's art by Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger and Arn Starn. It's basically, it's a 12-page story about, it's, it's funny, it's a little misleading at first. It's about a TV show that's being done in the style of, like, say, a CW show or something about the Legion Academy called Cadets. In fact, the first few pages is that story. You're watching the, the adventure, the high action, all these things of, of these cadets struggling against each other. One of them is a spy and all this stuff. And then it, it stops and you find out you're actually watching a TV show and you see some advertisements for it. And then you see some behind the scenes stuff where they're interviewing like actors from the show and designers and stuff like that. It, it's cute. Uh, it was a cute, fun story. It's 12 pages. It wasn't my favorite. It did feel a lot like filler. And the biggest standout moment for me is when did Bouncing Boy grow a mustache? Uh-huh. Late <laughs> Baxter era. Yes. That mustache Late. is terrible. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a Clark Gable mustache, but it doesn't quite work on him. No, no, it doesn't. He uh, grew it right around the same time that Keith Giffen came back to the series, so about Legion number 50-ish? Okay. 51, yeah. 52? Yeah, somewhere around there. Anybody got any uh, strong feelings one way or another about this story? Strong feelings <laughs> is a strong expression. <laughs> I kind of wanted all those minutes back from my life after I got done reading it. <laughs> I didn't know if anyone might feel that way. I kind of enjoyed what it was or what it tried to be, and then it turned into to a kind of a discussion of the different headquarters and academy uh, locations. And I thought, okay, that's that's the point of this, talking about the academy. And then they started talking about uniforms and fashions. And I'm like, okay, wait, that that's kind of arbitrary. And then they ended up with like a family reunion. And I'm like, well, wait, why didn't they just have a family reunion? Wouldn't that have been more fun to have a few pages of, you know, Dawnstar's parents talking to Sunboy's father or, you know, something? I, it was just weird. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's really, I mean, they've hit the bottom of the barrel on this one, where each issue had an, a, like a better unifying theme, and now it's like, well, we've done planets, we've done metropolis locations, we've done this and that. What's left? Um, so this is a collection of references to all sorts of Legion stories. It's got, obviously it's got Ty Templeton's humor, but it's not, you know, when he draws his own stuff, that, that works much better. Uh, so yeah. I like, I like that discussion on costumes because it's basically a designer going, well, you know, that costume sucks and, uh, right. really <laughs> throwing shade on some of the Legionnaires, which is funny or revealing that some of the costumes uh, can, you know, have different patterns and colors if you can see into the radiation range. That was uh, so, I agree with that. Yeah, that's some fun stuff there. But it keeps jumping from one topic to another, and that opening story where it's, uh, you know, fake cadets in a fake show uh, with fake information, because we learn later that some of the rules that are spelled out are not true, although they could be. You know, just you can just yeah, graduate right. one person per class, and yeah, that would happen in a Legion universe. We've read the Constitution; it's full of that sort of stuff. Right. <laughs> You know, complete nonsense. So it makes it's like it's like a wink at that. But, you know, I, I don't think Kurt Swan is necessarily good on this sort of comedy or to make it feel like it is comedy. And it feels more like Silver Age nonsense, which 
he did draw a lot of. So perhaps that's it. But yeah, it keeps jumping from this information here, information there. And then suddenly the family picture at the end, it's like we have no investment in that. Right. Uh, you wouldn't even know they're the parents of the Legion if not for the, the two that are actually named in the story itself. And obviously Don Starr's parents. And then the rest is just, you know, civilian couples. Yeah. So you and they even put in the in the inside back cover, you get a reference of who everyone is supposed to be. 12, story, 12 pages before it actually happens. I mean, whatever. So it, <laughs> it is fair to mention Colossal Boy's fam- uh, mother and father were featured heavily in the story. That's fair to say. And yeah. she's one of the more famous family members of the Legion. This is the story. Colossal Boy's parents watch TV for 12 pages. That's what this is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I guess I would have been much happier if Ty Templeton had actually drawn it. I love his artwork. Mm. And I just my last statement will be then, you know, the, the cadet show actually kind of seemed interesting. Once I realized it was a TV show, it was actually kind of fun to see the, you know, the yeah. high drama and everything. And that's actually I was I was hoping Bouncing Boy's mustache was a mistake. Like maybe it was an actor playing Bouncing Boy who had this ridiculous mustache. But when I found out it was legit, I was like, oh, but either way, it was cute. Yeah. So I have two things I want to say. First yes. of all, the cadets post. Is it just me, or does that look a lot like Kyle Baker or somebody mm-hmm. else? I was going to say. Yep. Art. It definitely looks different. Okay. And then the second thing I wanted to bring up was that last page before the family photo when the Allens are like, oh, I don't like, I don't want to go to these reunions. I hate going to them. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that seems really, really negative. And I was surprised. Well, especially since everyone's in their house. <laughs> right. They're downstairs, They're and it. these two are upstairs watching TV. Exactly. It's just, and I'm like, oh, why do we have to have these people here? Like, wow. <laughs> what? Really? So it kind of set a bad taste in my mouth for the rest of what's happening in the issues. Great statesmanship from the former president of Earth. (laughs) Yeah. She's, she's just following great examples set by uh, prior leaders. So anyway, on that note, all right, folks, uh, let's get rolling into this. First entry. This is a full page. It's a main entry. It is the Time Trapper. And uh, Siskoid, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Time Trapper, as drawn by Mike DiCarlo. So you know it's quality. Uh, first, ap- <laughs> I'm not going to be sarcastic like this all the way through. Uh, first appearance in uh, Adventure Comics number 317, though fan lore would actually have it to be I, uh-huh. Wonder Woman 101. Right. Ooh, uh, okay. Yeah, Wonder Woman 101. We see the Time Master, uh, but in an issue of Super Friends, the Time Master and the Time Trapper are revealed to be the same person. But right. you know, Super Friends comics aren't really canonical. Uh, so okay. So first appearance, Adventure Comics 317, legitimately. I, uh, I smell you, a nerd fight, folks. You know, it's 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 one of those. <laughs> I'll let things. finish. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. But this Master of Time, uh, who lives at the end of history and uh, raised an iron curtain in the time stream preventing the Legion from traveling to their future is, in my opinion, the Legion's greatest foe, uh, because well, yes, he's manipulated them through every conceivable continuity. Sometimes he's he's responsible for creating them, or uh, sometimes he's just trying to destroy them. Uh, the, you know, all those those different reboots and three-boots, and they're all, in, in some way, have been revealed to have been his machinations. We don't know who he really is, because he's been different people. His identity keeps shifting as his History does. It, you know, it seems like the time trapper is at least inevitable, uh, whoever he is. So his greatest hit is, of course, creating the pocket universe from which Superboy came from, you know, post-crisis, and to which the Legion traveled again and again to explain their Silver Age stories. Uh, and though replaced by Glorith during the Five Years Later era, still he returned to take part in Zero Hour. He's been a controller 
even though that proved to be a pawn, sort of, you know, he always sent pawns so that if Darkseid needed to pawn the, the Time Trapper, it was a pawn. Uh, he's He's been Cosmic Boy. He might have been Laurie Morning. They, they teased it in the reboot, but it never, you know, it, it's, it's like a loose end. Uh, Laurie he's, Morning. Uh, she was a girl from the 20th century who traveled to the 30th in some sort of uh, snafu with Kronos. And sort of always wanted to have powers and be in the Legion, so she was just you know living in the HQ. Okay. Yeah. Adopted Prody. Anyway, she she had a role. I, I, um, do, I do know that the Cosmic Boy option of Time Trapper happens to be Ange's personal favorite. But I love it too because it was like the first one that you know it even was hinted at in the Cosmic Boy and the Legionnaires three miniseries in a way. So when it happened at the end of um, just before Zero Hour, at the end of uh, you know that continuity, I you know it's sort of made sense to me but uh, he's also been superman prime he seems to have been destroyed uh, by superboy prime the last time we sort of saw him well not really you know superboy prime <sighs> stop saying gave his, his name everybody hates uh, him I, I hate him too but you know his last reality destroying punch in final crisis legion of three worlds destroyed the time trapper but he was seen again in the new 52 era as part of the legion's origin uh, so, uh, and this time trying to kill RJ Brand before he helps kickstart the Legion. So, you know, I don't know if that's just like a past, but the Time Trapper will always exist. He'll always come back. He's also been in the DC Heroes Adventure modules that started the Legion and in the video release JLA Adventures Trapped in Time. So I think legitimately he's, you know, the greatest villain that the Legion has uh, in its, in its toolbox. And as I mentioned, I'll just mention this quickly, but, you know, uh, we talked about the Infinite Man at some point. Yes. In another episode. And I talked about the Time Trapper there. So just to make that link, the Infinite Man was always time seen as a cycle because it's about returning, going to the end of the universe and returning to, you know, from the beginning of the universe. Time is cyclical for the Infinite Man. The Time Trapper represents the other theory where it's entropic time, where at the end of the universe, the, end, the universe actually dies, does not, you know, the there's no big crunch, big bang all over again in the Time Trapper's theory. And both those time travel characters exist in the Legion stuff and have fought during Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I uh, just wanted to put the button, button on that since that was a discussion we had in the, in the prior episode. Yes, it was. Fight Star me, Trapper. Russell. <laughs> well, no, I, I always liked the Time Trapper, but I always liked him as the Joker or the Phantom Stranger. It's one of those characters that we don't know too much about. And when you start to learn, like, who's behind the mask or, you know, what his real motivations are, he gets less interesting to me. If I had to pick an identity, I kind of like the logic of him being a controller because controllers already have kind of infinite powers anyway. And there might be some plot that you understand him being a controller. But if I had my way, I just we never understand why or, or who he is. Part of his appeal to me is that even though it says here his first appearance is Adventure 317, that's actually incorrect because I'm right now going through some of the Silver Age stories for Legion of Superbloggers.blogspot.com. And I just read that story and he's not shown in that story. He's only mentioned. And he's wow. mentioned that he faced Cosmic Boy and Sun Boy and he escaped them. And now Superboy and Monel are going to try to break through time to track him down. And he doesn't actually appear until 318, where he's still behind the Iron Curtain and he's like this hooded, shadowy figure. But so right away, we never saw his quote unquote first appearance against the Legion, which is kind of awesome. Kind of like Mordru, we never saw his first appearance either. That's cool. It's just, it's, I like the riddle and the enigma and the, the mystery of him. Yeah, that's an odd thing. Uh, what about you, Shag? What's your favorite time trapper? Oh, well, first <laughs> off, let me say, by the way, when I mentioned earlier that Ange's favorite is Cosmic Boy, what I meant by favorite, that was enough to drive him to, I believe, quit reading comics, I 
think is what that result was. Oh, I hated, I hated that review. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully I've stopped Ange halfway through his mad letter that he was writing just now. <laughs> um, I kind of like the whole idea that he's just the last man standing in the universe. I don't necessarily want him to be a legionnaire or be somebody from the 30th century because we know history keeps going after the 30th century, and he's the guy right. at the end of time. So why should he be from the 30th century? That's like saying somebody from the 20th century should be important in the 30th century. Have him be someone from the 156th billionth century that we've never heard right. of, and he's just the last guy at the end of the universe. And for whatever reason, he hates the Legion because they're mucking about with time travel. Maybe I don't know. I'd rather sort of like Russell yeah. to be unknowable. I, I, I don't, but I don't want it to be connected. I want it to be his own thing. I, I, I like couple, him to couple, be. Well, I, oh, go ahead. So shut up. This is my turn. This is how this works. Uh, he's so <laughs> powerful. Like if you really step back from it, the Legion should never really beat him. Like anytime he's ever defeated by the Legion, truthfully, it should be him letting them do it because he's just yeah. that insanely powerful. And uh, my final comment here, I think it is cute how everything about his uh, personal data, you know, unknown, uh, in- inapplicable, inapplicable. But his height and weight's apparently something we can quantify. I don't know why, <laughs> it, but we can. <laughs> so you're Somehow. saying about it either being a noble or powerful Cisco? I, well, it's the, I think what I like about the Time Trapper or the configuration I like is that he's always changing identity so that you know it's something that I like I like that he's a reflection of whatever continuity we were stuck with so Mm. that whatever happens it's a different time trapper Mm. but he's doing the same stuff he's basically changing his own identity by changing history so you're changing your own history and yet it doesn't change the fact that you're the time trapper in this it's like a chess game with yourself so I I like I like that once once it was revealed who he was who he might be yeah that may be lame but once he was revealed like four or five times to be a different person now it becomes now the mystery's back as to mm-hmm. what is this entity that keeps changing uh you know shifting identities so i like that idea of it and it mirrors what's happening to the legion all the time as well well when as you said that it made me think that you know maybe the time trapper is the original character who keeps reimagining himself and he keeps rebooting himself mm-hmm. through all of his time travel so he started out as controller but no he's not that anymore and then he's he's you know whatever he was the last man standing but then no he's not that anymore and then he's Lorth and then he's Lorth's slave and etc cetera, etc cetera. he just keeps rebooting himself that's that's an interesting theory yeah like the, the, the universe says there must always be a time trapper and depending right. on what's being fiddled about with history it just changes who it is and at that point that person who's time trapper has always been time trapper right so, yeah I like yeah. that that's pretty cool mm-hmm. I'm not a f- I'm not a fan of the artwork I will say this mm. it what what's that splotchiness like did he spill some blue milk like Star Wars blue milk on his hood. What, what happened there? Messy eater. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's it's not great. <laughs> but we spent a lot more time in this character than we probably will the rest of the people in the issue. So let's. Get, but he is pretty important and pretty interesting. So all right, let's get going here. All right, up next are an interesting one. This is a half-page entry. This is the Tornado Twins, folks. This is Don and Dawn Allen. Yes, in post-crisis, this is the son and daughter of Barry Allen the Flash. Uh, art by Wynn Mortimer. And at this point in history, they were descendants of Barry Allen. The Again, the retcon is that they're the children because Barry goes to the future with Iris and he has children right before Crisis on Infinite Earths. And in, in the previous origin, they had gained Flash powers temporarily in order to celebrate Flash Day, which was a big holiday. 
and they ended up frustrating the Legion because they kept beating them to the crimes and things like that due to their speed. And eventually their powers wore off, and they tried to get their powers back through various means over various appearances and such. And that's that's really the gist of them. They they again the art is by Win Mortimer. They're wearing these purple jumpsuits with a uh, I guess more than thigh high. I guess thigh high is that what you call that thigh high black yeah. like leather boots with gloves. It's it's a pretty good look, kind of like the Challengers of the Unknown to be honest. With a little more leather fetish going on now. Uh, also in post crisis, it's worth mentioning that Don is the father of Bart Allen, who goes on to be Impulse and eventually Kid Flash. First appearance, Adventure Comics 373. And, of course, Don Allen, I mean, that must have been crazy. Uh, one is Don Allen, the other one's Don Allen. Right. <laughs> that's not how you name twins, guys. Um, <laughs> that's confu- just confusing around the house. I guess, Don, come in for dinner, I guess they, they both come. Uh, so the so Don Allen, the, the male <laughs> of the twins, is the father of uh, Impulse. The Don Allen, the female twin, is the mother of excess oh that's right i forgot about who that. became who became a uh, legionnaire in the reboot I like that you know, i always was sad that they didn't have their own powers i mean I, i've read the story where they come they appear and it's like they could have joined the legion or or you know not joined the legion but to have their powers kind of like taken away it's just seemed like a cheat i always kind of like these characters they had a uh, very sad fate in the five year later they were I want to say either tortured or experimented on i can't remember the exact details of it it was it was sort of a, not an off panel thing but it was like a one panel thing where like somebody's just casually talking about the, the horrors they put them through. It was like, ugh, it was awful. But, all right, moving on. Up next, because we got to get to this guy. This is important, folks. This is Tusker. Yeah, that's right. You've been waiting for him. Uh, again, by Wynn Mortimer. He is Horace... Uh, li- li- hmm. <clears throat> What's that? I'm sorry, I'm not French-Canadian, but... Oh. Go ahead. Is this going, you want to give the, a hand here? Horace what? That's, like, that's written in uh, Irish, but um, <laughs> that's like an Irish word, but Lefeu? We'll go with that. Lefeu. Of Earth, and basically, this is, as we've come across many of these entries in this in these issues, he's another rejected tryout member. Uh, his power is to grow giant tusks. Yeah, that's his power. And when he tried out for the Legion tryouts, it was during a very unfortunate period. We've talked about it before when Dynamo Boy uh, proved himself to be King Douche and joined the team and got everyone on the team kicked off and populated the Legion superheroes with bad guys. So this happens to be the time Tusker tried to join. Not the best time to do that. He ends up, you know, obviously not getting in the team, and he goes off. And ends up teaming up with Eiffel Ethel, which we had fun talking about a couple of episodes ago, and they both decide to try and be villains, and they fail at that, too, because they're just failures in life. First appearance, Adventure Comics 331. He came back as one of the members of the Earthman's Justice League of America. Are you serious? Uh, looking looking more like a kind of a Hulk, kind of a block character. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> it is amazing the characters they salvaged for Earth Earthman's Justice League. <laughs> yeah. God. And he didn't look, I mean, they made him into like this huge bruiser with, uh, yeah. you know, an unbreakable skeleton. And I mean, because I like this character. Of course, he was in the Legion of Substitute Heroes special, number one. Oh, was he really? Oh, okay. Yeah, him and Eiffel Ethel are on like some mission. Uh, and um, he gets his, his tusks broken off. And I mean, it's pretty gruesome, really, for the, like, a humor comic. But anyone who is in that comic, I love unconditionally. <laughs> we all got to have our thing, man. That's okay. We have that thing. <laughs> I got redheads. You got that comic. So it's, we all have the thing. All right. Uh, speaking of things, can we get to my uh, one of my favorite characters, Tyrock? <laughs> all right. Tell us all about Tyrock, please. <laughs> I don't know why, but he was one of the first characters I read when I started reading the Legion, and I've always had a soft spot for him. This is Tyrock, art by Kyle Baker. First appearance was Superboy in the Legion number 216, and Tyrock was created by Kerry 
David Bates and Mike Grell. He had the superpower, super magical voice, which appeared to allow him to do almost anything uh, similar to Zatanna or maybe Preacher. And Tyrock is one of the most complicated and controversial characters in comics. Now, Tyrock was the hero of the isolated island nation Marzal on Earth. He met the Legion when they came to Marzal to retrieve a dangerously radioactive satellite that had fallen back from space. As a member of an isolated nation, kind of similar perhaps to Imperial Japan, Tyrock expected to be met with racism and prejudice when the Legionnaires came, because that was what his countrymen had dealt with for decades. However, when the Legionnaires offered him respect and friendship, Tyrock softened and eventually embraced their promise of universal brotherhood and thinking to do more good as a legionnaire and to help bring Marzal into modern 30th century Tyrock decided to join the legion however the number of missions Tyrock participated in were few as he devoted most of his time to helping his country integrate into mainstream society and within about a year after joining the legion Tyrock returned to Marzal for the last time and he told Shadowlass and Dawnstar that his powers uh, manifested themselves after a dimensional demon had attacked him as a boy. And in fact, Tyrock means demon scream in his uh, native Marzalian language. His usage of these sound sonic powers uh, weakened uh, some sort of dimensional barrier between Earth and where he uh, and Marzal had been living, and it was causing Marzal to fade out. He was able to return his friends, uh, Dawnstar and Chalice, to uh, 30th century Earth via one last teleportation yell, but then he and Marzal disappeared forever. Wasn't really forever. No. <laughs> uh, well, uh, as of this timing of this book, yeah, ah, for the Bronze okay. Age. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're being even a bit pessimistic because it's written that, you know, he is not expected to return. It's like, we're so ashamed of him. He is not expected to return, fans of Tyrock. Yeah, uh, and, and, the top, and yet he did. At the, and at the very beginning, he says, you know, occupation, honorary legionnaire. It's like, wow, you DC Comics really, really hated this character. He wasn't yeah. even given actual legionnaire status. Just to, just to reinforce that, on the last page, of this issue, there's some corrections. Yes, I, yeah, there's some corrections. One of them too. says that they missed Tyrak's symbol. It says, symbol was omitted, though virtually no one cares. Whoa! Yeah, I know. So, so, all right, what is the controversial nature, Russell? Why is he so, like, either hated or people are embarrassed by him? Like, is that have to do with the racist, the racial issue that, they, that was brought up in here? Tell, talk to me. Well, yes. Tyrock was famous for being the first, you know, black legionnaire, the first African-American legionnaire. He made his debut in 1976 or 77. He came from a, co a country which was absolutely segregated, and it kind of was strongly implied that all the black people lived on this one island. And that's why you never saw any black people in 30th century adventure comics, which is inherently racist and, and segregated. So lots of people took offense to that idea. His name is Tyrock, which is kind of sounds like Tyrone or one of some sort of kind of pejorative name as opposed to like sound boy or, you know, magic voice boy or you know, whatever. Okay. It's just, it just then Mike Grell, when he heard the whole origin, designed this kind of spoofy Saturday Night Fever type disco pajama suit for him and kind of disowned him. Says, I don't want yeah. anything to really do with him anymore. Hmm. So. And, they, and they sort of played him as the, uh, the, the typical angry black man. You know, it's the 70s and comics superhero comics are 
are trying to, you know, either cash in on the black exploitation craze that started at the beginning of the decade, uh, but all the characters are very much, you know, stereotypes uh, written right. by white men. Right. So uh, this is true of. So, so you, when you look at the '70s, Black Lightning or Black Goliath or uh, a Luke Cage, Power Man. yeah, right. yeah, you're seeing a lot of stereotypes, and it's not, you know, it's it's not very always very good. And I think Tyrock fell into that, and and so he was so late though coming, you know, it, it's not like early '70s. This it's no. mid to late, uh, so it's, it was a bit late to do that. And I mean, it just, you know, sometimes you're trying to tell a relevant story, and it just you just fall in your face uh, because you don't really understand the issues of the uh, or the cultures involved. I think that's that was the problem with Tyrock. But to disown him instead of you know you, using him just better, writing him better yeah, right. was uh, was was a cheap uh, way to do it. They did bring him back, and you know, in, the, in five years later, he's back, and right. he becomes president of Earth uh, after uh, Invisible Kid uh, leaves him the the position. You know, he he eventually came back, and today, well, I say today, we don't get, we don't have any Legion comics today, but the the last Legion comics that were published, uh, mm-hmm. volume six and seven, he was a member. Oh, no explanation, no explanation given why he was back, but he was a member, and in New Fifty Two, he was one of the legions that the legionnaires that they sent to the Legion Lost title. Yes. So he's been more around, you know, in the late uh, 2010s than he had ever been in the 70s. Now they yeah. try and explain think- in the, they try and explain in the history here, and I'm curious whether there's a retcon or not. They they don't say that basically there's an island of segregated African Americans or, or black people or whatever. It, they they say that a slaving ship crashed during the what 1600s, 1800s, whatever it is. Right. And right. they say that that island that they crashed on falls into a dimensional rift, and so they evolved separate from the rest of the world, which is where. Right. All that developed from now was that a retcon or was that part of the original story? No, that was part of the original story. But the the problem was that Mike Grell would want to draw draw like you know uh, African Americans in the background scenes of some of his artwork as soon as he took the series over in like two hundred three through two thirty or whatever it was. And the editor, I think Murray Boltonoff or whoever it was, would not let him do that. In fact, one of the sub characters he was going to make, Soldier, the one man army or the one man war or whatever it was called. He drew him as a black character, and the editor said, "No, no, this has to be a white guy. We don't, we don't have black people in the 30th century." Oh and gosh. so finally, Carrie Bates created this character, and he's the only writer who ever used him. And after Tyrock appeared, and and I think a lot of letters came in saying, "Wait, are you telling us that the entire all black people live on Mars?" All they, the other artists after that, like James Sherman and uh, whoever else was after him, Jimmy James and, and Keith Giffen and Pat Broderick, of course, they started drawing black people in the backgrounds, and then it was okay, but. But originally, it was like, oh, here are all the black people. And everyone was like, whoa, 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 wait, right. you're kidding. It's not Tyrock's problem, you know. It's the whole, the background they gave him sort of right. put a stain on the entire 30th century. And this is the same right. franchise that wouldn't let that wouldn't let Jim Shooter make Feralad black. Thank you. That's where I'm going. Is, is, is this guy before yeah. or after Feralad? This is way after Feralad and Shadowlad. Both characters were supposed to be black, and the editors wouldn't let them be. That's just nuts. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I... I personally love. You called it a disco costume. I love his costume. I, uh, the, other than the <laughs> booties, the booties are a bit much. But I love just because he's so buff. Like he's just Kyle yeah. Baker draws him like so muscular, and he just makes that he makes that popped collar work, man, with the chains yeah. and stuff. It's like I want to see this guy, this version right here, team up with like '70s Luke Cage and have some sweet Christmas. I mean, that would just be awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, the name that they give him here was never used in the story. Tori Stewart was never shown or mentioned in any story. He was always Tyrock. All right. Well, poor Tyrock. I feel bad for the way he was treated then. Yeah, I'm glad he's been redeemed more in more recent years. That's a good thing. Yes, me too. All right. Up next is one of my favorites. It is a full page, another main entry for Ultra Boy. Woo! Jonah of Rimbor. Art by Tom Artis and Joe Rubenstein. Now, if you don't know Ultra Boy, I don't even know why you're listening to this podcast. But um, anyway, he's from Rimbor, <laughs> the same planet as Little Russell Burbage, which is a That's lawless right. planet. And yep. the nice thing about Jonah was he did remain on the right side of the law there. He wanted to be a law-abiding citizen. And through a series of adventures, he ends up getting swallowed by a radioactive space whale. And if you don't get the joke there, folks, it's Jonah and the whale. See? Right there in the writing. Anyway, uh, he ends up getting recruited for the Legion training program with Marla. And in fact, his costume, uh, Jonah's costume, is even similar to Marla's costume. And he eventually meets a jo- uh, phantom girl, who, uh, of course, is the love of his life. She's the hottest Legionnaire. Too. She is the hottest Legionnaire. Thank you, Russell. And uh, this origin here just happens to reference a story in which Jonah goes undercover as a criminal, which, as far as I'm concerned, seems seems to be the single most retold Legion story ever, even more than Adventure 247. Every time I turn around, this stupid story is being retold. And then, you know, it's Ultra Boy, guys. You know how this works. He's got all the powers of either Mon-El or Superboy, whatever you want to look at it. He's got all those powers, but only one at a time. Now, this is the costume from the later years, the, the later Keith Giffen years. Personally, I can't stand this costume. I get what he's going for, sort of the boss, sleeveless, muscle-bound dude with the collar, but it's it's not my favorite costume. Uh, I will say, too, I, I, I mentioned before on various Pod, on various episodes of this show or other ones, I have a skewed view of the Legion. Because for me, the Legion really is the five years later Legion. That's where I first met the Legion. And so for me, at my core, no matter what I read, that will always be my Legion. So to me, Jonah is one of the main Legionnaires. Now, some people may agree, some people may not. But for like me, the Legion is like Cosmic Boy, Ultra Boy, Chameleon Boy, Shrinking Violet, uh, Brainiac 5, Timberwolf, Matter Lad, Andromeda, those main core characters from the, er, the first year, five year later. And so like, Lading, Lightning Lad, and Saturn Girl not even like the main Legionnaires to me, but this guy is. So, very excited to see this entry. The first appearance is Superboy uh, number 98. Oh, look at that. I, I, I need, it's not even Superboy in the Legion, it's just Superboy number 98. All right. Well, Siskoid, what do you think of this guy? Well, I love Ultra Boy, you know, as, you know, as a character. I do not like this piece of art. Um, <laughs> I don't like this look. I mean, the, the, you know, the late Baxter era looks, I think, are mostly terrible. I don't like those redesigns. And this is part of it. This, that weird jacket with the metal shoulder pads, I, you know, it doesn't work for me. It's got a really elongated head, too. Tom Artists. Yeah, that's, that's the part that I really, really don't like is that this does not look like Ultra Boy to me at all. I'd agree with that. His, yeah. his yeah. face, he's always had like wavy kind of James Deany, juvenile delinquity type long hair when it was out of fashion. And then he had kind of spit curl type look when it was in the 70s and the 80s. And now, what is, what is this? It, I don't yeah. know. He looks like more like Frankenstein to me than <laughs> Joe now. Mm. Well, Tom Artist did often do, not caricatures, but he really did stylize looks. And usually on the girls, it worked really well. He drew some very cute uh, images for girls in Secret Origins and some of the Legion entries. But here, yeah, it's a bit of a mess. It really is. Uh. So am I off base in saying that he's one of the core Legionnaires? No, he's a, he's definitely one of the core Legionnaires. He's one of yeah. my favorites as well. He's he's one of those big, you know, top five, top ten characters that should always be in the Legion. He's just yeah. unique, and he's 
he's a tripe from you know Jonah from the whale, but he's the idea that he can only use one power at a time, and he he's got such well you can't see it here, but he has such an iconic costume that right away you could pick him out of the, the the group no matter what era it is. So he's always been one of my favorites, and he's part of that uh, Phantom Girl power couple. So yes. uh, you know those, those power couples are very very important to the Legion. If you're a Legionnaire without a that is uncoupled, you're less iconic than if if you are in a couple. <laughs> That's pretty true. I never thought That's of it that way, but you're right. Oh. Even Colossal Boy got to play in that club after a while. After yeah, a while. That's true. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing about Ultra Boy is that for about a year after he was introduced, he was the victim of, you know, kind of mixed up editorial decisions because he was introduced only showing as having a flash or an X-ray or a penetravision power. And so that was the only power he had for about a year and a half. Oh, until no. finally that story that you're talking about with the renegade legionnaire oh. when he that was the story that introduced the one power at a time trope. Up until that point, he only had penetravision. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was very strange. So that story is very important to Ultra Boy. Well, when you say an yeah. editorial mix-up, I mean, did he start with all those powers and lose them? No, like, he just, I think he was introduced in Superboy, the, his title itself. So he's one of those characters like Starboy or Monel, who was introduced outside of the Legion. And then, you know, I don't know how he was created, but he was shown to only be able to see through lead that was the big bit that he could see through and superboy couldn't and then when he was brought over and put in the stable of adventure comics characters that was the only thing that any writer knew to use you know what i've read that story before in a digest of uh, ultra boy going back in time with marla during the training to try and uncover uh superboy's identity was like his test and it's all about using his vision powers you're right Right. because he's trying to catch superboy changing so that is oh wow how interesting so that story that i've had to read about over and over, whether it be in Secret Origins or in the Legion five-year-later annual or just at the, at the number of times the story's been retold, <laughs> at least it's, there's a benefit in it. So, okay, I feel yep. better about mm-hmm. that now. But he needs the penetra vision because, as you know from reading the Legion Constitution, you need your <laughs> unique power, right? Right. The power nobody yep. else has. Uh, right. And penetravision, the ability to see through lead is that unique ability that Ultra Boy has that no other Legionnaire has. That is so stupid. Right. <laughs> I remember you telling because us. Because otherwise, covered... it's got, he's Monel, right? Right. Otherwise. Well, you told us when we covered the Constitution, I still think it's stupid, but whatever. Hey, if it gets him on the team, that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we got to move on here because we got to get to this big, important character. All right. We've got a half page entry for Yuli Algor. That's right, folks. Yuli Algor of Score. Woo! Thank goodness. Art by Arn Starr and Kurt Schaffenberger. Uh, this is another bad guy who tried to infiltrate the Legion as a member. Surprise. And she wears his pink bodysuit. And she's actually kind of hot. And she's got red hair and a, and a bodice. But she, more importantly, she's got this giant belt that would make, like, Hulk Hogan jealous. And uh, she pretended... <laughs> she, at one point, she had the ability to look like other people. She pretended to be Shadow Lass. Her and this other guy, they got ended up being... They were defeated. She ended up being paroled. So then she attacked the Legion again. And she gets this belt, which causes the Legion powers to backfire. So ultimately, I like this bit. She gets knocked out by Ultra Boy, but he just punches her at regular strength. So she, so the powers backfire, but normal human strength doesn't. So Jonah just <laughs> clocks her and knocks her out. <laughs> yeah. First yeah. appearance, Action Comics number 379. Yeah. She was one of those characters that was created for the backups in Action Comics, and then she came back like three or four issues later with that second story. And so uh, she was th- three eighty six was the other one. Oh, okay, there you go. Yep. Not but I'm surprised counting. that she. Well, I'm surprised that she came back twice. I mean, a lot of these villains show up once, they do their gimmick, and then they're gone. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And, so, and she actually returned for a second engagement with diff- a different shtick. It's it's uh, surprising. They yeah. were desperate that month. So, all right. <laughs> Up next, the other half of the page, which is The Unkillables by Arn Starr and Kurt Schaffenberger. There, there's a fair amount of text here, but just to give you the, the boiling it down, the uh, a renegade dominator uh, tries to ruin a peace talks. And the way he does it, he takes the descendants of Earth's greatest assassins ever. And he, re- he recombines their DNA and all this stuff to basically turn them into their, their ancestor, this assassin. And he puts together a team of them. And uh, he actually is leading the team himself. But they wear these black bodysuits with a skull on the chest. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the leader has a skull on the chest. But it's basically a black bodysuit with white gloves and white boots. And they actually look pretty cool. I kind of I kind of dig their look. And while the topic of assassins is kind of horrid, I do kind of dig the idea of what the, the Dominator did here. So, first appearance of Adventure Comics number 361. Is it read as cool as it does in my head? the issue or is it kind of a miss it's definitely a miss oh (laughs) really yeah so when when you when i heard you say that these are like some of the greatest assassins of all history so okay name name somebody that you think would be one of these unkillables well i'm I'm, i I gotta assume john John wilkes booth thank you i couldn't i was trying to say hinkley but no hinkley hadn't happened yet so john wilkes booth i would assume john wilkes booth was one of them yeah Uh, they call out four they call out four of them brutus and his partner uh cassius Oof. Wow, that was very good. I had no idea that that was. That was <laughs> Did I get it right? <laughs> yes. Oh Brutus wow. Okay. All right. And then, and then of course Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, well, it was after sixty. Okay, after sixty-three. Yeah. Okay. So the four of them were the ones that actually were called out. And the funniest part about that, because I looked this story up, was like Bouncing Boys looking at them saying, "That's Brutus and Cassius. I recognize them from history." And you're like, <laughs> "Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Thousands of <laughs> years later, you know what Brutus and Cassius look like?" Well, they got uh, time viewers right well don't you remember um caesar he was nuts for snapchat and instagramming i mean he was always taking selfies with the guys so i could see why he'd recognize him yeah i guess So the story's a miss. That's very unfortunate. I'm sad to hear that because uh, it kind of reminds me. There's there's actually a musical called Assassins, which I guess I've seen it. Okay, a friend of mine was in it uh, in a local uh, yeah. local theater production of it. So it's the some of the music's quite interesting. So it's a uh, interesting idea. So all right, yeah. up next we've got uh, th- 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 this is a bit of a cheat. It's not one main entry, but it's three entries all under a, uh, under an umbrella. And quite frankly, I didn't feel like covering it, so I've assigned it to our good friend Siskoid. Siskoid, why don't you tell us about the three you P ambassadors. Well, only two of them are UP ambassadors, but uh, uh, let's go. Uh, they're all with yeah, they're all with art by Nate Butler and Jim Sanders the third. The let's uh, they're, you know there's just three columns, one to each column. Uh, the first one is from is Gerald Ambassador Gerald from Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number two forty nine. Applin Gerald of Arcturan. Uh, she's had a rough past as a smuggler with, with which she was blackmailed once she reached prominence as a diplomat. Chameleon Boy helped her keep her reputation intact, and they stayed friends. And she only had that one story, but very much later made cameos in the SW6 era of Legionnaires. So you saw her a couple of times, yeah, in those early oh. issues, but uh, as you know, as a UP representative, because she's very distinctive. When uh, here she looks like she's on uh, American Idol or something, but um, Eurovision or something. Uh, be- <laughs> I don't know what that. I guess it's not a microphone; it's a scroll or it's a stab uh, but, or something. But yeah, it does look like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, but she wears some sort of bikini with cape ensemble uh, in yellow, and she, but she has that you know that mohawk that's made of sort of 
you know, little wedges. It's I don't it's not hair, probably, but it's like a coral little mohawk. So she's distinctive. So when you see her in the background, when somebody thinks of drawing her in that case, Chris Sprouse, you know, people can can spot her and put her down in the indexes that exist. Uh, otherwise, I don't have any real memories of uh, of her. Well, I, I just want to point out something about her origin. That's just a, a reoccurring theme throughout the who's who in the Legion, which therefore is a recurring theme throughout Legion history, is corrupt science police officers. There are a ton of these guys. It's I guess they've taken their cue from 70s television shows where there was always a corrupt cop on the force. But it seems like there's always some story about a corrupt science police officer. And this one's just another example of it. And here, they specifically say she calls on Chameleon Boy socially. I read that as booty call? Is, is that how you guys read that? No. Yeah, they, they, well, they <laughs> they seem to be flirting with each other when in that one story, yes. Ah, okay. See, I'm not that far off. Okay, fair enough. I'll accept the answer. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the next the next one is much more recognizable. Uh, this is Ambassador Relnick from uh, Superboy number 225, Anton Relnick. He's the he's best known. He's the best known of these characters, uh, at least to uh, Levitt's era readers as he appeared throughout the 80s. Uh, he's a legendary diplomat miraculously getting accords signed all across the United Planets. Many of his missions have involved the Legion, starting with Shadowlass's first mission as a Legionnaire. Uh, he settled the UP Dominion War and so on. So uh, he's a guy that you even saw show up uh, in the more modern Levitz issues. Uh, he's in a lot of the Baxter issues. And then we've get the not UP ambassador, Yzmir, from uh, Legion of Superheroes number 307, Yzmir of Gildishpan, so not a UP ambassador. He's a little out of order here. He should have been under A or under Y, I guess. But he gets a spot. Even though he appeared uh, only twice, uh, he took part in the UP Kundia negotiations, but he had like a habit of warping home whenever things went awry. So only those two appearances I call padding on this page. Uh, so, oh, damn. We don't have a third UP ambassador to put on there. Uh, that's what happened. But he looks like all the Gildish band, which is to say a worm with, uh, you know, an opening at both ends <laughs> uh, swimming in a sea of methane. I thought he was great in Star Trek, too. <laughs> All right. Well, that was exciting. <laughs> Thank you for covering the ambassador. Well, you know, <laughs> you did no problem. Best, you did the best you could with the material given to you, sir. <laughs> I like the I, I like diplomacy. That is true. That is very true. That's why you like the Doctor Who role playing game. All right. Yeah. Up next is another main character, folks. This is another important one as well. This is Universo. Russell, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Universo, art by Greg Larock and Arnie Starr. He was created by Jim Shooter. His first appearance was in Adventure Comics number three forty nine. Uh, Universo has the power of super hypnosis. He's also an evil genius and a talented chess player because he likes to be at least three steps ahead of Universo first appeared out of the blue at Legion headquarters trying to steal a time bubble and he hypnotized the six Legionnaires who came after him and then he disappeared into the time stream. The Legionnaires uh, went after him but the whole thing turned out to be a trap. Uh, the Le Legion managed to escape their certain death due to the timely intervention of Ron Vidar who just happens to be Universo's son. The Legion returned from the past and captured Universo and he vowed revenge. Universo Universo decided that facing the Legion directly was too dangerous. So the next time he faced them, he pretended 
appointed to be the vice president and then the president of Earth. That position of power allowed him to outlaw the Legion at the same time that he poisoned the Earth's water supply, which made the people of Earth more docile and submissive to his will. Again, with Ron Vidar's help, the Legion eventually defeated him. And this time, um, there's even a scene where they rip off his plastic, you know, Mission Impossible mask and said, I would have gotten away with it except for you nosy kids. And I'm not... (laughs) That, that actually happens. So then several <laughs> years later, uh, we get a flashback story where we see an alien Green Lantern named Vidar as someone who is intent on learning the secret of the Big Bang Theory. And he shows up and he defies the rules of the Guardians of the Universe, as well as the United Planets, and attacks or um, has an invasion on the Time Beacon. And then he gets banned from the Green Lantern Corps. And then the Green Lantern Corps gets banned from Earth. A couple years later, in Brave and the Bold number 179, his real name is given as Argus Oranx. Um, we never got any information on his wife or Ron's mother ever. So we're not quite sure if Vidar really is his real name or what's up with that. Uh, in the Baxter series, the Universal Project, he arranged for a building to fall on his son, Ron, and then for doctors under his hypnotic control to poison his son and kill him um, because Ron was impervious to his father's hypnotism. Uh, luckily, Ron Vidar actually had a secret Green Lantern ring, uh, his father's Green Lantern ring, which I don't understand how that really worked. And that saved him from uh, the poison. One last thing about Universal and the five year later Universal from the pictures that I have seen, he switched his monocle from his left eye to his right eye. (laughs) And during the reboot, he is Saturn Girl's cousin. So what do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess he's a poser all the way through. If the monocle can change places, yeah, yeah he was part- right. He doesn't use it for yeah. eye. No, uh, the uh, in the five uh, in the five years later era, of course, he was part of the resistance against the right. Dominators. So yes. he was, you know, he made himself sort of a anti-hero sort right. of thing. Um, he was still manipulating but, things to his benefit, but yes, he oh, was yeah. helping the good. Oh, yeah. He was helping the good guys. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he was. Uh, I mean, he's fair, considered fairly important. Uh, he was part of that uh, Titans Legion team up so he teamed up with Brother Blood in that thing in the reboot yeah he not only uh, you know at the towards the end of the reboot in the Legion he uh, took over Titan uh, in, in right. that thing in the Titan net uh, so he was a big villain towards the end of the run and in Final Crisis just to, to put another uh, you know the that end of the Ron Vidar story really is that he uh, in Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds he assents to Ron Vidar's murder so he can have the GL ring, but uh, it doesn't work. The, the the ring just flies off. So he's um, uh, and then we we did see him in volume six or seven. Yeah, he was last seen posing as Earth's president uh, again. Let's let's say that <laughs> you know, he's always manipulating the government, but this time he was like he took the identity and uh, had like I, I you know hi, again hiding behind a mask, uh, posing as Earth's president. And this is a loose end. When the series ended, I don't think we got an end to that. Hmm. Well, I, okay, that leads me to my question. So we've talked about he's one of the mo- more important villains. What do you guys feel like makes him a great Legion villain? Like we talked about why the Time Trapper is a great Legion villain. What is it that makes Universo so compelling or his story so good or makes him just so darn important other than they tell us he is? He's had a couple really, really good storylines. Uh, his initial appearance was good. His second follow-up when he outlaws the Legion is a classic story. And he doesn't really show up in that until the very end. So then you become – 
more respectful of his manipulative abilities that he's been behind all of it and you don't realize it. It's kind of like the very end when, you know, literally you pull the mask off and it's like, oh, it's Universal. And then, of course, the Universal Project was four or five issues of like straight. He succeeded in taking over Earth and, you know, taking over the Legion and taking over Ambassador Relnick. I mean, he was everybody was his pawn at that point. And it was just awesome that the Legion, four or five of them had to come back and fight against him. It was a bad literally a battle of wills hmm. and so that's that's really exciting and i think if you're going looking at it as the nuts and bolts of what makes a good villain for whatever team or hero uh, you know when you've got a, such a huge team like 30 characters what's a good villain how powerful must that villain be and a mastermind who works in the shadows works well in that context because it's hard for a single hero or a group of heroes to to defeat him because he's got so many things going. So like the time right. trapper, he's a chess master. You know, he's he's manipulating things. Okay. All right, fair enough. I always like the Green Lantern angle of, of the character simply because, you know, the Green Lantern is such a big thing in the DC universe. It is kind of hard to accept that there was no Green Lanterns in the 30th century or no mention of them. Mm-hmm. So I liked the way they worked it in and and the thing with Ron as far as him having his dad's Green Lantern ring, they they retcon that to say that the Guardians had given Ron was a Green Lantern, but it was purposely under cover on Earth, um, mm-hmm. supposedly. And then, of course, that eventually moves on in the five-year-later run to um, was it Celeste Rockfish, I think, that became the Green Lantern bearer at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I, I always kind of like Ron as a Green Lantern. In fact, at one point, I want to say, was it the reboot where he became a member of the Legion as a Green Lantern? Isn't that right? Uh, I don't know if he ever became a member of the team as a Green Lantern. mon had a Green Lantern ring for a while, but yeah, uh, I, about that. I, I think Ron was gone by that point. Oh, okay. Ron was never a member, or else I would have done a a who's who oh, okay. oh, article yes. on him we already. Trust his story, though, I, I, on that. I just have this vague memory of seeing Rond as a Green Lantern, maybe drawn by Chris Sprouse. I'm not sure. And the costume looked a little bit reminiscent of Kyle's uh, a first costume, but I, I'm probably imagining it. Either way. Anyway, okay, fair enough. So Universo, a very big deal in the uh, Legion history. All right, up next, here's one uh, equally important to Universo. His name is Vibrex, <laughs> folks. Everyone remembers Vibrex, of course. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it is Dist Vethkoth of Jupiter. He's basically a small-time criminal, and he got his powers by accident, and he has the power to control the vibrational rate of any matter. Uh, he decided to sabotage the Seattle Space Elevator to do some crimes, and he ended up getting caught, and that's about as how exciting he gets. Uh, art by Keith Giffen, first appearance of Legion of Supers, number 267, and he's basically just got like a, a dark purple jumpsuit with different like violet-colored accents and sort of maybe a weird target symbol on his chest halfway like a little slice of it maybe that's supposed to be vibrations i'm not sure that's all i got on this guy discord back me up here isn't this a different mm-hmm. costume than he actually appeared in oh, wasn't he in like a I blue would... and red something or other because steve ditko drew that issue as a backup to explain the, the origin of the legion flag rings and i don't think i don't think it was this costume it, this does not look familiar to me at all and I seem uh, to recall him um, in the Keith Giffen Legion poster. That's why I remember, because I, for a long time, I was like, who the hell is that? And then I f- remembered he was Vibe, what's his name? Vibrex. Vibrex. <laughs> Which begs the question, why the hell would you redraw or redesign this guy's costume? Yeah, it is. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> the, the, the original costume had the V shape on top of the, on the chest. And then the, uh, the, the, you know, the vibes would come out of the tip of that V and mm. basically cover the bottom of the, the torso and the shorts. 
So it was more like a circle. You could actually see it was like a radar kind of weights mm. coming off of them. And you didn't have the little tunic. You, had, you really had shorts. So uh, and, you know, different uh, no, no real gloves. And so, yeah, uh, a different looking costume. This is not the first time this has happened. We've seen it when maybe they, I don't know. They didn't really have a reference for it. I mean, nobody was hoping that Vibrix would show up again. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, which costume would you say is the better of the two? Um, well, mm, I think, mm, <laughs> you know. Boy, really decisive answer good, here, huh? yeah. Well, they're both terrible. Uh, I, think, I think this one is less objection, objectionable, but the the original one was more distinctive. It looked more, you know, the effect looked more like Havoc of the X-Men, mm-hmm. you know, with those, like, mm, with yeah, those yeah. waves coming off of them. Yeah. So, yeah, it was more interesting, certainly, but they're both pretty terrible. It was like more, you, you know, Russell's right, it's more like bluish, and there's none of that hot pink or purplish color in there, except except on the waves. Anyway, uh, Vibrex, is he the original Vibe, or is he the legacy version of Vibe? <laughs> vibe, vibe fans, chime in. Uh, he is a legacy of uh, Reverb. How's that? Uh, Vibe's brother. So we'll say that. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on because we got we got because we got to get to the the meat and potatoes of this issue here coming up here in just a second here after this character. So folks, the next character is Vizalad, who was it is Rent Ustin of Earth, art by Keith Giffen and Kez Wilson. Basically, it's this little guy who's got four eyes and has an array of vision powers. He is part of the Legion Academy and he's got some little adventures they extri- explained here. But I just want to get to the the gist of it here. This costume is, is kind of unusual. It's a green costume, bodysuit with a different green legs. But he's got uh, okay. First of all, he's supposed to be human. Why is his skin green? Like that bugs me. What, what's up with that? Was it always green? Yeah. Yes. Mutant. But they said he's basically a normal human except for four eyes. Well, that's not basically a normal human, is it? Right. He, he reminds <laughs> me of like Artie from the New Mutants. You know the the what do you call them? The Morlocks. The little mm-hmm. we, there was two of them. There was Artie and Leech. Yeah. He looks like Leech. There it is. Yeah. Well, uh, Legion of Superheroes, uh, annual from the Baxter series, annual number three was his first appearance, and it sounds like he spent most of his time with the Academy. But he was an actual Legionnaire, Shag. Oh, no. Yeah, once oh, again, I, I remember I am, reading, I remember I reading your post on this. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Tell us. Once more. again, I'm forced to uh, explain the, uh, the five year interim <laughs> before oh, five years gap. later. Yeah, that gap where, uh, the, uh, the Polar Boy, was stuck, you know, getting everybody into that legion. Everybody was leaving. Earth was putting, uh, you know, limits on on aliens. So you had to have Earthmen or Earthwomen in there. So uh, he picked up almost everyone, basically, that he could, even some really lamos. Uh, and uh, so during that tenure, he, you know, Vizzy Lad was a member of the Legion. He was a Legionnaire. And then in 5YL, we saw him as an adult uh, towards the end, working with the United Planets Militia Academy, teaching, you know, there was him and the subs were training cadets for that uh, to defend Earth. And in the, we saw him again in the retro boot. Uh, he was back at the Academy in those issues of Adventure Comics when they revived it and, you know, volume six of the Legion. And it, oh, I must say, also, the, the proof is in the pudding. The um, In Final Crisis, three, Legion of Three Worlds, when we see like those big team shots and there are Legionnaires from every era and continuity, Vizzy Lad is among them. Okay. Good for him. My, my life feels <laughs> I, more complete I can't see now. that, but okay. <laughs> you need the four eyes. Hey, I wear glasses. <laughs> so do I. All right. Well... <laughs> Thank you, Vizzy Lad, and thank you, Cisco, for that information. But I've got to move us along, folks, because this is it. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what you bought the ticket for entry. This is the banner entry of the issue. It's five pages long of, that's right, you love them and I love them, the Wanderers. Woo! 
They call them the wanderers. They call them the wanderers. They wander I'm around, gonna... around, 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 around. I'm going to go uh, get a snack. So you keep going, Shag. <laughs> I don't hopefully take... wanna... You better go quick. So I don't know if this is going to take too long. Um, <laughs> art by Dave Hooper and Robert Campanella. Now, the reason they got so much attention here, folks, is uh, – and I'm, I honestly didn't bother to check this simply because I don't care about the wanderers. They had their own ongoing series. I'm just not sure yes. whether it was over or not at this point. They definitely had their it own was ongoing. Not. It was not. It was still on. It, it, it ended in around 1989 or so. Okay. So they so, would probably be live as of now. Which explains why they got five pages. I mean, that's usually how it worked yeah. with Who's Who, was characters that had their own books got a lot more attention. It makes sense here. It's just unfortunate because it's the Wanderers. All right. So the yeah. gist of this is that there's several different characters. I'm going to rattle off their names. Of the team that was in their own ongoing series, you have Aviax, Celebrand, Clonus, Dartalon. Yeah, that's a name. Dartalon. Uh, Elvar, Psych, Quantum Queen, and Reanimage. If, if I didn't say it, Dave Hooper and Robert Campanella did the art. Uh, this team was formed before the Legion, and they were described as a smaller, more mobile version of the Legion, and they were led by this character named Celebrand, and they were heroes. They went out and did a bunch of good stuff, and they did end up meeting the Legionnaires at some point, and of course, because comics, there was a conflict, but in the end, it was resolved, and they, they became basically, you know, you knew the Legion was over here doing their thing, you know, the heroes of Lalor was doing their thing, and the Wanderers were doing their thing. By the way, speaking of which, how come I got stuck with the heroes of Lalor and the Wanderers? What is, what is this? I'm running the show. I shouldn't be stuck with this crap. Anyway. Just lucky, I guess. I guess so. The original Wanderers were actually murdered. Dead, fini, all gone. And uh, there's a whole story, a mystery behind who killed them and things like that. And then there's a character named Clonus who comes in and actually clones the Wanderers. Now, he makes a few tweaks here and there. Basically, what happens is someone came along and uh, decided to up the characters and make them more interesting for their own ongoing series. So you get cloned version of the uh, Wanderers. Their powers are amped up. Their looks are different. Many of them actually take on different names. Uh, the only one that couldn't be cloned was their former leader, Celebrand, but by the end you find out, and this is creepy, that uh, part of him is actually in the lung of one of their characters and that's where his leadership comes from. Ew! Uh, anyway. <laughs> and and part of the deal, too, is as clones, you find out that, I guess, in the 30th century, clones are crazy! So they can, none of these characters can ever have children because their children would become monsters. That is the burden of having clones. And uh, first appearance of the Wanderers. Oh, and we're not done yet, folks. Don't worry. Uh, Adventure Comics number 375. Now, gentlemen, I am going to have to go in and start talking about each individual character. Would you prefer to share your glowing thoughts now, or would you prefer to wait as we go character by character? Uh, gosh, that's quite a quandary. Uh, <laughs> let's just go in character by character. Okay. Now, on the first page, you do get a group shot, uh, and there is a lot of uh, attention given to the Quantum Queen because, quite frankly, she's the quote-unquote hot member. She's the blonde who's basically wearing like a Starfire kind of bikini. The rest of the characters are, are mainly headshots and things like that. All right, first character is Aviax. It's this guy who's, uh, he looks a little like Arax, Son of Thunder, except without the mohawk. Uh, he's, he's not wearing a lot of clothes. He's got these enormous shoulder things that stick off and red gloves and red boots and a little tunic, and that's really about it. But the deal with him is he has the ability to shape change into any bird species. Now, the challenge is that the skeletal structure, because as he begins to shape change, his skeleton therefore has to move, and 
And uh, so that's a bit of a challenge with the shape changing and also the fact that birds have very fragile skeletons. Now, uh, this character is probably the most well-remembered of the Wanderers. <laughs> because Infamously. Infamously, yes. Infamous, if you will, like Three Amigos. There is one story where there's, I guess it's either the last bird of a species or it's an endangered species of a bird. He actually shape changes into a mate for that bird. They have sex and they make bird babies to keep the species going. Yeah, I'm not yes. making this up. This really happened. Oh, yes. In it, I don't yes. know if it was code approved, but uh, a comic, but it was, I never knew this. Someone had it pointed out to me and I was just like, what? And that it will forever be the uh, albatross worn around the neck of the Wanderers, folks. After that is, oh, I'm sorry. Any comments about Aviax, gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> Has, uh, has anyone ever read that bird screwing story? I do. I have a copy of that story. Yes, and I. It's it's true. It, it really does happen that way. Okay, lovely. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Up next is Celebrand, who uh, is wearing a blue jumpsuit with white gloves. It's basically um, Winchester from Mash. If you worked out a lot, is what he looks like. And um, <laughs> he was the original Wanderer's leader, and he had a keen analytical mind and leadership skills, but he couldn't be cloned, so he's dead, dead, dead. I do wonder if Clonus decided, wouldn't it be convenient if I don't clone the leader so I could be in charge? I wonder about that. But anyway, and, and as I mentioned, some of his tissues were put into Reanimage's left lung, which is where he gets his leadership from. Ew! Yes, yes. The uh, the writers or the editors or the creative team behind this was Doug Minch and then Robert Hooper and or Dave Hooper and Robert Campanella uh, who did the art. And they said in one of the uh, editorial letters or letter of comments, whatever it was, that they didn't clone this guy because he had no powers. He was just the, you know, the Batman, the smart analytical guy. So they didn't have any need for him, which is why they didn't clone him. Interesting. Okay. As you say, Doug Mensch, I'm not even remotely surprised because it seems like in the history of the Who's Who entries Rob and I have done over the years, every time we come across some really weird, kooky concept that had its own ongoing series, i.e. Electric Warrior, uh, it always seems to end up falling to Doug Mensch as the one who wrote it. So, hmm. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Next, up next is Clonus, which is basically just a computer bank with a holographic head coming out of it of a controller. He was a renegade controller whose consciousness is in their ship computer. It turns out that cloning was forbidden by the controllers. Unfortunately, again, his name is Clonus. You know how this works in Who's Who. You're predestined to follow whatever the path of your name is. So he ends up doing a bunch of cloning. There's stories in here about his wife and his kids and further clones and all that jazz. And anyway, he, now he lives in their computer and is sort of a boss of theirs. Yeah, awful. Next. <laughs> up next is the bad boy of the group. His name is Dartalon. Yes, Dartalon. And why would he be named Dartalon? Yes, because he throws darts, uh, specifically quills that his body is covered in. He's got a bad attitude. He is probably their attempt to create a Wolverine character, I have to assume. Like, he wanted to quit the team all the time. He's like, pick arguments. He's rawr, mad because of his condition, etc., etc. Yeah, I can't decide if Dartalon is a better name than Dartag or whatever the hell it was that he was before he got killed. Dartalg. D-A-R-T-A-L-G. Dartalg. Both of those are losers. I would say no. (laughs) Uh, I I love his Murphy Anderson boots, though. (laughs) They are pretty cool. They do look nice. (laughs) Up next is their attempt uh, as a cash grab on the ElfQuest craze. Uh, Elvar, who uh, original name was, oh, geez, I've lost it. Elvo. Elvo. Right. And now he's Elvar, and because of his name, they've actually, in the clone, they've given him an elfish appearance on purpose with giant ears, and he's short and all that jazz. He is a master swordsman, and he has his energy power sword, and he's got a feisty personality, folks. Woohoo! <laughs> 
Up next is Psyche, because every prefab team has to have somebody with uh, mental powers. Psyche is the mistress of emotions. She is uh, empathic, and she can control and even project emotions, and she, in fact, feeds off of emotions. She's a bit of an empathic vampire, and uh, the rest of the team kind of doesn't trust her because of it. She is a, a beautiful woman with white hair, even though she's young, and she's got a blue sort of dress with gray leggings and other blue sleeves, and she's kind of kind of hot. Uh, is it Psyche, or is it Psyche? Oh, I always say Psyche, but I guess it could be Psyche. That's probably the, uh, actually correct. On I don't know. Let's throw it to yeah, someone I... whose uh, fir- first language is in English. Siskoid, what do you say? Did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm assuming we're already past the Wanderers. No. Um, oh, damn. Kitchen's too close. Uh, yeah, it's Psyche. Psyche. There <laughs> it's we Psyche go. Psyche Shag. Psy- Psyche would be written without the E. Uh, you know, it's the 80s, uh, so I just assume she's going Psyche. <sighs> anyway. Psych. Moving on. The next one is Quantum Queen. Again, yes, this is the quote-unquote hot one of the group. She's got on a bikini which barely covers anything other than her breast and crotchular region. Uh, she's got gloves and boots to match. They're all hot pink, and she's got blonde hair with white highlights. Uh, she transforms into any form of quantum radiation, and she's insanely powerful, and she's got tons of light-based power. She's sort of like Captain Marvel, you know, Monica Rambeau, except ramp that up a bit. Uh, I've always wanted to like her because she in the Silver Age Legion's uh, history was fated to join the Legion. Um, She was one of the dead statues that Superman sees when he goes and meets the adult Legion, Quantum Queen and Shadow Woman and Chemical King, and she was one of them. But this is just atrocious and stupid, and she would have a – what was it that Janet Jackson had a couple years ago that where her breasts Wardrobe malfunction. Off? Wardrobe malfunction. She would be wardrobe malfunctioning all over the universe. <laughs> Baby, that's why she's so popular. And having her statue <laughs> amongst the uh, dead Legionnaires I think is just hopeful thinking. But anyway um, – <laughs> Then finally, Reanimage, uh, which is, I, I guess that's how you say it. He is, uh, sort of has become the team leader. He has instant healing, can come back from the dead. He's immortal and always young. That's kind of a nice power, huh? And as I said, he's kind of become team leader, and they attribute that to having Celebrand in his lung! So. And that, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is the Wanderers. Yeah, they deserve their own ongoing series. Yeah, these there's a bunch of losers. The entire there's not a winner in the whole group of six of them, as far as I'm concerned. Reanimage is my least favorite because wait, he's immortal, but wait, he died. Oh wait, now yeah. he doesn't die anymore. Oh wait, but he's 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 cured. Like wait a minute. <laughs> And, and they appeared. not a great name, but Reanimage, that's not a name either. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, and okay. they appeared in three other versions of Who's Who, right? They appeared in uh, an update, the, the original Who's Who, in an update, and in the Loose Leaf. So uh, oh. these gotta, they've got to be the Omega Men of the 30th century. Wait a minute. So much They're in the Loose Leaf? So, oh, yeah. Oh, i got to deal with them again? Okay. Yeah, but just once, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so they appear all the time. So they're really the Omega Men of the 30th century where they take up way too much real estate in who's who well, for what they are. Based on my experience with Omega Men, uh, there probably is some fans of the Wanderers out there, and we've probably just pissed them off royally. So terribly sorry about that, folks. Really, it's Siskoid's fault. Mm-hmm. He told me to bag them the whole way through. So Well, so uh, on behalf of the Legion of Super Bloggers, you one fan of the Wanderers who's listening to this program, please send us a note, and okay. we'll write you know something nice about them, I promise. And it can't be it can't be the Wanderers from the Three Boot, which was uh, you know Lightning Lord's team, which had like Plant Lad and 
you know, other characters in there, which had nothing to do with the Wanderers as we know them here. Fair but enough. It's, it's be you've got to be a fan of these ones. Maybe someone's yep. really into bird sex and they're going to write a, you know, a, a treatise on that. So. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on, folks. Uh, we're up to uh, now. This next one is, is a group of three characters on a page. First one is Warden Tasquin. I guess is how you say his name. He is Jas Tour Tasquin of Kafar. He is the Warden of Labyrinth, which is the new Legion prison. And uh, as you're reading this, it's kind of interesting. He's, it's very short history, not a lot of information. But the nice thing is, it pretty much just boils down to he's pretty effective in his job. He does a good job. He's not corrupt. He hasn't screwed up. He hasn't caused any trouble. So overall, it's kind of a nice thing. I love his look. He's you know, a guy in kind of like a military uniform. He's got kind of a greenish skin. But instead of, and he's got his nose and his happy smile. But instead of two eyeballs, he has one eyeball out on a stalk that comes out of his forehead. It's kind of hilarious. And he's sort of waving like, hello. So I really like this. It's by Terry Tidwell and Jim Sanders III. First appearance is Legion of Superheroes, the Baxter series, issue number 22. Isn't kafar like some curse word in like Arabic or something? <laughs> Quite possibly could know. be. It seems like I've heard that. No. But here's the nerd debate, though. Labyrinth or Tacron Galtos? Hmm. Now, see. Because, uh, you know, I have a preference for the uh, for Tacron Galtos. And so when they, uh, you know, when they introduced Labyrinth, I was like, why? You know? I have a preference for Tacron Galtos, but it's misplaced. My preference from <laughs> it comes from Justice League 3000 because – because Keith Giffen would pick and choose the things he wanted to use from Legion history in the Justice League 3000 book. He didn't use all of it. He just used some of it. And he used Tacron Galtos, except in that story, Earth had become Tacron Galtos and was a prisoner. <gasps> yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm. Great comic book. Well, well, I'll vote for Labyrinth because I read the story where Tacron Galtos is destroyed in the in the original final absolute last crisis from 1985. And um, the Legion going and taking all of the criminals away from Akron Galtos and saving them and, and Darkseid coming in and saving Validus. That was an awesome comic. That was a really good story. And it made sense that Akron Galtos was in the path of the crisis. And then they had to build a new prison planet and Labyrinth fit the bill. And since a girl showed up and kicked some ass and that was a good story, too. So I'm I'll vote for Labyrinth. Fair enough. If you can justify its destruction, then fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, that's the best argument I could imagine for it. Very well done. All right. Up next is Weight Wizard, art again by Terry uh, Tidwell and Jim Sanders III. This is Nick Obershaw of Earth. He has the ability to increase and decrease his mass. And uh, it's kind of an interesting character. I mean, I like his look. He's got a purple basic outfit, which is a short sleeve shirt and and, and uh, leggings with white boots and, and trunks. And he's got this kind of cool black uh, pattern on, uh, on the fringes of it. Sort of like Toad, you know, from X-Men had, like the little, little choppy, weird, I don't know how to describe it. But anyway. Yeah. And he's just got blonde hair. His face is uncovered. The gist of him, though, is, okay, so he cheated at sports, specifically like track and field. He used his powers to increase and decrease his mass to help him win, and he had lots of Olympic medals, and he got caught, sort of like North Star, except North Star never got caught, I don't think. And he was shamed, and he was sent to the, and he went to the outer mining colonies to try and start his life over. He even tried to reform. He tried to become a hero, but it ended up landing him in a prison camp that some bad guy put together for superheroes. So he's in this prison camp. Well, once again, fate doesn't look kindly on this guy. He ends up turning into 
into a snitch for the uh, in the prison, helping out the evil overlords. He's ratting on his fellow prisoners. And in the end, though, he tries to reform one more time, but ends up dying trying to escape on his way out to seek help. And he's eaten by a poisonous lily, which I think is just hilarious. Uh, first appearance, Adventure Comics number 344. Now, my question to you guys is, is all of this just in one story, or did he appear multiple times? Uh, it's all the same. Two issues, I think, but it's all the same story. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the the actual facts of the story picks up right around where he was kidnapped by Nardo. We didn't ever learn his secret origin. He was just the the snitch, uh, uh, and then died. And then he came. The character came back. It's or there was another weight wizard. I can't remember when or why. I, oh, he was one of the aliens. He was not weight wizard. Never mind. Different weight wizard. Never okay. mind. You wouldn't think that's the a name two people would pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who have the power of dealing with weight and mass and all that, so it's you know, not too surprising. So, All right, up next, uh, The Westerner by Terry uh. Tidwell and Ke- – uh-oh, I hear, I hear grumbling. I've got some issues with this one, too. Terry Tidwell and Kez Wilson. Uh, this is Timothy Santosa of Earth. And he has the ability to absorb strength and endurance from others to use uh, that strength and endurance for himself. Now, uh, he ends up on this off-planet tribal uh, – I'm sorry, he ends up off-planet studying under a tribal shaman to help to learn to control this power that's in him that's been passed down through his family. Again, this is absorbing strength and endurance from others. And ends up with the Legion Academy. And he is uh, – they, they make a specific point to point out that he is a mystic on the team, and he's always striving for inner peace. And he want, But ultimately, he doesn't want to be a superhero. He wants to be a frontier teacher. Now, his first appearance is Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 3 from the Baxter series. Now, i got to ask you guys, his look, all right, he looks very, very, uh, the best way I can describe it is, like, he looks dorky, not, like, like purposely dorky, but he just looks like a dorky, patriotic character that you might see in, like, some cheesy independent comic from the 80s. He looks very pro-America. He's got, what, like, an eagle on his chest and stars, and it's, it's red, white, and blue, but there's also some yellow. He's got a helmet with a ridiculous eagle pattern on on it. Again, it looks very patriotic, but then I step back and look at it and think, wait a minute, is this supposed to be a Native American riff with the eagle in, in America and all that? I, I, talk to me about this guy here, Cisco, because I heard you grumble a second ago, or was it or was it Russell that grumbled? No, it was him. It was him. Okay, Cisco, <laughs> talk to me here. Well, I... I uh... <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, I you know I hate him as a just looking at him. Yes. This is not the Legion aesthetic. Right. You're right. It, it looks like something from like Red Ribbon, Blue Ribbon, Blue or Red Ribbon comics from the yeah. 80s, or yeah. even uh, an image character that not drawn by an image artist. It, it's awful. But like a patriotic Americanocentric superhero in Legion in the 30th century doesn't ring true. And the the look it looks nothing like all the other characters that we've seen. There is an aesthetic to this, even when they evolved it in the Baxter series and the Five YL and the reboot. There is an aesthetic that is Legion's and that evolves from the original Legion concepts. This is not it. It just it looks out of place. Now, worst of all, I don't know if any of these stories that you know any of this origin that you told is actually in the comics. Is oh. it? It's not. No, it is nothing not. is in there. He is this. He is just a character that you keep seeing. And you, you keep seeing him through different eras, but he's at the Legion Academy. He's floating around in the back. He even makes a cover once, but he never gets a line. The only line I, I, I know he's ever said is uh, when he's doing a, a commercial in the 5YL. And the 5YL is like, maybe you remember me. I'm the Westerner. And then somebody <laughs> clicked the channel. Uh, that's if you're looking for it. It's the bottom of a page somewhere on in LSH Volume 4, uh, oh. number 10. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So 
Very specific. Wow. No, I went digging because this looks nothing like a Legion character. I could not remember him, and yet I own all the comics he's in. So, so I had to go back and look and see where he, you know, what, we, what he was about. But he's he's nothing. No, none of this is on panel. He's just a background character that does that looks out of place. Like he's a weird little cameo for a character that fits somewhere else uh, that you see and never. You know, you never really feature. You don't see him fight anything or anyone. He's just in the background flying. That's that's the guy. So I hate him with a passion. <laughs> <laughs> isn't he? Isn't he one of the guys that Greg Larock drew in the background at the academy in the the new substitute hero story? Isn't that Legion that's, Annual number three? Yeah, that's his uh, that's his first appearance. Okay, so yeah. I'm my guess is that he was some sort of Greg Larock design character that he threw in there, you know, and just wanted to put him in because he had that character design around a Captain America or Crusader. Well, clearly his costume screams mystic. I mean, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. So. <laughs> with that football helmet he's wearing. Yeah, with his, well, or either that or Super NFL. Isn't that what that, that right, guy looks like? Too? Yeah. <laughs> he escaped the, the yeah, NFL and Super Pro comic. Look at the body of the eagle. It's like he's got a tie with a tie clip. <laughs> it's, t- it's so awful. It's so awful. It's it, it. It almost reminds me of like I don't know. Like if again, if it's Little Rock, like maybe it's a character he designed when he was a kid. Yeah, right. And he just felt like he needed to throw it in somewhere, you know. But throw as we read the origin. I mean, the, the thing you guys didn't touch on though is the origin. I mean, it's it's really steeped in Native American culture and lore. And like when I see this character, I don't think I do think patriotic America, but I don't think Native American patriotic. You know, I think the opposite. I think like a guy was like you know. America, you know, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, he's riding his motorcycle and he's got a shotgun right. in the back and, you know, he's driving through Hazard County or something. Not not Native American kind of thing. Although he does have the name Westerner, implying that old West kind of thing. But, oof, complete miss this guy. Yeah. But he was, worth it. he was worth a chuckle and certainly gave us some fun. <laughs> and yes, you nailed it perfectly, Siskoi, when you were kind of describing some independent characters. Yes, that is. You know, because when I first looked at it, out of the corner of my eye, I thought, is that a Judge Dredd character? But then I looked at the art. I'm like, no, 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 this is terrible. This would never be in a Judge Dredd comic. All right. <laughs> Up next, we've got a main character. And this is White Witch, Russell. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about Misa? White Witch, uh, art by Jose Valrubia, and is it Carl Kiesel or Carl Kessel? Either way, it's Carl, KK. He was, she was created by E. Nelson Bridwell. Her first appearance was as the hag in Adventure Comics number 350, and then as Misa or Misa or the White Witch herself in Adventure Comics number 351. White Witch first appeared as a murderous old crone known as the hag. She had been transformed into that identity by strong black magic as welded by Mordru. After she was freed from that spell by her sister Dream Girl and the Legion of Superheroes, White Witch returned to the Sorcerer's World, where she continued to study uh, whatever it is they study on the Sorcerer's World. <laughs> A few years later, uh, when Darkseid attacked Sorcerer's World, uh, White Witch stood with the Legion to defend it, and after the threat of Darkseid and his minions was over, she decided to join the Legion of Superheroes. Her story was then told about how she grew up on Naltor, um, but was a, quote, blind, unquote, because she was one of the few people on Naltor who did not, could not see into the future. That would have been quite a debilitating um, handicap for somebody. And so she decided to strike out as on her own, and she went to Xerox, a.k.a. the Sorcerer's World, 
And that's where she was eventually put under her spell by Mordru. Interesting thing about White Witch, uh, she, her powers are magical, of course. And it required her to perform a spell or to prepare some special ingredients. So she tended to rely on standby uh, things such as like protective shields or fields or um, some sort of healing spell or um, some sort of mystic bolts of defense or transmutation, like changing the armor of a Kund warrior into like um, flowers. Uh, White Witch left the Legion during their uh, preparation for their final battle against the Time Trapper. Oh, look who's back. <laughs> she disagreed strenuously on the moral decision to use a very catatonic Infinite Man as a weapon against the Time Trapper. Professor Jackson Rogarth uh, could not voice his assent to participate in the effort to uh, defeat the Time Trapper, and so she argued that his participation was not uh, voluntary and was akin to kidnap and or murder. And after she couldn't get her decision uh, agreed upon by any of the other legionnaires, she literally uh, quit in a puff of smoke. When the magic war started and the sorcerer's world was destroyed, she appeared to be ready to rejoin the legion and to help rebuild the society. And that's as far as I'm going to go with her history. Siskoi, do you want to talk about her after five years? Sure. Uh, after the, well, in five years later, what happens in five years later? <laughs> well, she, she ends up, she looks normal in the five years later era. She doesn't look white anymore. She's around yeah. quite oh, a yeah, yeah. Is she the and consort trouble... of Mordry now or something? Well, she she was part of the, the reboot of the universe, if I remember right. She was, was she Mordru or Time Trapper's girlfriend or something for a while there in that was, weird... She was always linked to Mordru. Yeah. And yeah. Like, she, she was Mordru's wife or whatever. And that was and, just in one uh, issue and, for, the re, for the relaunch where they got rid of Superboy, yeah. Right. Yeah, and then she also, then she, for a while, she had uh, an Amethyst Insider or the, the spirit of Amethyst oh, Insider. Oh, right. It gets pretty confusing. And then, yeah. And she participates in the spell to try to keep the universe together uh, during Zero Hour, uh, but that fails. And uh, yeah. reboot. And then during the reboot, I don't know why I skipped the, sorry, I kind of skipped the Five Whale era while researching it. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, the, that's why I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but during the reboot, uh, she is not a Legion member. She She's really, originally, she's seen as the hag or just Misa, but she's the hag. And uh, she sort of manipulates kinetics into you know doing her uh, doing her bidding and getting some artifacts for her so she can defeat Mordru who had right. uh, sort of you know screwed her over uh, before then uh, but she never does join the legion she went she winds up being um, you know, Dragon Maj's girlfriend or something. Oh, so, oh really? Yeah. So in the in three boat, she's not in there. In the retro boot, uh, she becomes the Black Witch and uh, really, really powerful by accepting her dark side. Um, this this is all mixed up in the Final Crisis stuff, and yeah. uh, and uh, she winds up ruling Sorcerer's World with Block as her consort. Oh, yes. well, at least they're finally together. And that's basically where we left it. I think, yeah, and that's my favorite thing about White Witch is that touching relationship she had with Block. Yeah, I like yeah. that too. Yeah, it was like like a quiet, not quite romance, but you know, like a something deeper, and that makes sense for a spiritual character like her. Uh, and he was and enamored just, with her, though, wasn't he? I mean, oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, but. I mean, it's it wasn't something that was physical. You know, it was a a touching spiritual romance. You know, a coming of minds. It's not it's it's not the, the kind of grand passion that um, that other characters had. It was it was it was really sweet. You know, 
So it was like a very different relationship than when we saw in uh, most of the Legion couples. We think they were trying to go for the drama that Dawnstar and Wildfire always had. No, they couldn't be together, and so these two. Were I think they were together. avoiding it. I oh, think they okay. were avoiding it. Yeah, they were, it was a contrast to that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah because and yeah, I agree with Cisco because I I think it was a contrast to Wildfire and Dawnstar because the situations were very similar in that they couldn't really, for lack of a better term, consummate. But he was not a carbon, you know, life form. So it really he didn't really love want to marry White Witch. He just really, really liked her. And she, of course, had no real passion for she. They never showed her having any passion with anybody. So it was like platonic plus alpha, some sort of really deep spiritual relationship between the two of them. And Block actually helped her save the universe during the Magic Wars because he was talking to the spirit of Amethyst or whoever it was that was possessing Sorcerer's World and said, oh, no, my said, you know, this is the way to go. And she trusted him so much that she she did what he said. Well, I have to say, I'm really glad that when you covered her origin, you put it in chronological order of the appearances rather than the way her story works, because that was my big note is how much of this is a retcon, and it's pretty much darn near every single thing is a retcon in her origin. It is overly, overly complex, and after this, you know, at this point in history, 1980, it doesn't get any better as far as the complexity. Uh, I did like her because she was part of the five year later. Again, she basically just hung around in normal, I hate to say normal human form, but I mean, she just looked like a normal person. She didn't have white skin. She had, I think, red hair maybe. She's even in the early issues where she was trying to figure out her, you know, get her powers back and all that. And I have to say, hats off to Jose Villarubio because I've never really, I don't know, White Witch has always been there. She's fine. But, you know me, I'm a bit of a, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a perf. This is the first time I've ever looked at a picture of White Witch and thought, dang, she's hot. I've never yeah. seen a hot picture of White Witch before. And this one works. It's beautifully, beautifully rendered. You know, she's the, the sister of Dream Girl. And and again, a con- it's supposed to be a contrast again, where the other high drama relationship in the Legion is the Dream Girl Starboy relationship. You know that thing's almost non-viable. But so so with with White Witch, we've got someone who is very much the the other side of the, the coin. The you know the a, a complete opposite to her own sister. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um. And I would question your your use of the word retcon though, because unlike you know Westerner or Weight Wizard, where we didn't learn any of those facts, all of these facts in her history actually were stories. They just came kind of in not in chronological order. Well, th- that's the definition of a retcon, though, is retroactive continuity. So it's not that it necessarily changed anything. It didn't It didn't negate anything, but it was history that was revealed to us later. So okay. I, I think yeah, it still meets the definition. Um, okay, that, the, that is absolutely true. The spirit of a retcon usually, though, is changing crap, uh, which is what the Legion has yeah. been known for for the last 20 years or so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome White Witch entry. You know, guys, I, I hate to say, we started off by saying this issue kind of sucked, but I'm really enjoying a lot of these entries. And certainly enjoying the discussion. I mean, it's Ciscoid's here, but still, beyond that, it's pretty good. All right. Up next, another main character, folks. This is Wildfire wearing everybody's favorite costume. I uh, want to tell us about this, Ciscoid. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And, I mean, even if the issue is weaker or we, we believed it was weaker going in, it's whenever you hit a Legionnaire. I mean, that is an important character and a beloved character, you know. Uh, it's everybody else in between. So Wildfire, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Drake Burrow. Wait, I'm sorry. Earth. Wait, you called, him, yeah. you called him Wildfire? Isn't this Fire Lord? <laughs> Isn't this the guy that was, you know, one of... Oh, he looks Galactus. like it. He's a Herald of Galactus. Looks like it. Herald of we, Galactus. We could draw that staff in between those fists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Wildfire? he's... Uh, 
never heard of this he, guy. Go ahead. It's Wildfire. <laughs> He's Drake Burroughs of Earth. He's drawn here by Kerry Gamble and Kez Wilson. Uh, he first appeared in Superboy number 195 as Erg One, the so-called one-shot hero who had all the Legionnaire's powers but couldn't make it into the team because he wouldn't show them his one unique power. <laughs> uh, but eventually he eventually he does. He releases a blast of antimatter from his suit, which destroys some dangerous machine uh, and saves Colossal Boy. But before he can return to the suit, the Legion makes off with it and puts it in a glass case and mourn his loss. Uh, so it takes him a year to return and resurrect himself. <laughs> you see, Drake was transformed into a sentient anti-energy being by a mistimed antimatter blast. To save his life, the university professor responsible put him in a containment suit. So when he coalesces and returns to that suit, he is finally inducted in the Legion as Wildfire, never again using his various Legionnaire mimicking powers, only just energy blasts and flight. So over the years, he became important to the Legion by overseeing the committee on membership, uh, frequently acting as mentor to academy students. To readers, he was part of the Legion's most tragic power couple, along with Dawnstar, as we've mentioned several times the show. And recently, uh, relative to the the issue of who's who, he learned to keep a humanoid form as energy, uh, like a solid energy, foregoing the containment suit. That's a trick Quizlet showed him. Uh, but it hasn't helped with Dawnstar. Mm. So, so that's him up to that point. And sadly, you know, at least we, we see him in the original costume in uh, like the little story at the front of the book. But sadly, we're seeing that non-containment suit look, that sort of firestorm look. Sadly, more like but, human torch, um, really. It looks to me, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a Star bit of every fire? yeah, a bit of every fire character. Yeah, you know, Nova. So uh, if we talk about his history for later, well, in the five years later, during that the gap, Wildfire was presumed dead after he fixed the sun, which was made unstable by Doctor Regulus. Uh, he shows up though alive in Five Wild as NRG. So he was ERG before ERG, uh, which meant energy release generator, if you can believe it. And then now he's NRG, which just, just sounds like energy, uh, later revealing that under the containment suit, he was hiding the fact that he was animating Sunboy's charred corpse. <sighs> oh, later, 5YL. Uh, and then, <laughs> Post-Giffen, 5YL is a whole different matter. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then during the reboot era, uh, there is a Legends of the Dead Earth story uh, annual set far in the future in which Wildfire rebuilds the Legion to stop a recurring rash of Sun Eaters. But this doesn't seem to connect to the reboot era very well. So it takes you know a few more years before Wildfire, or rather Erg One, uh, to appear in reboot continuity as a combination of the energies of two Xanthusian heroes, Blastoff and At- Atomics. Uh, who are killed and find their way to the containment suit and join, amalgamate, uh, and become a Drake Burroughs, which is an, am- an amalgam of their two names, and then join the Legion uh, just in time for part of the Legion to be Legion Lost. Um, as Really? I had no idea. That, and that's, uh, that sounds that's, very much like Firestorm. That's Starboy in uh, Atmos's home planet, right? Uh, yep. So they've, they've got their own heroic tradition, and you see those guys early on in the reboot. Uh, and eventually, and, and very, like, by Legionnaire number 50, I hope Shotgun doesn't listen to this, because I is just a few issues ahead of uh, what we're uh, covering in uh, on the Legion of Super Bloggers, but in in that you know, during that story in number fifty or so, Mordru kills them, and uh, so eventually their energies become and I mean eventually 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 because it takes quite a while, and eventually they uh, they become the new or the reboot Wildfire. 
So he's part of that, that team, eventually, you know, at the very end. Uh, he could be the guy from the Dead Earth Annual, I suppose, because that guy's got memory problems because he's been alive too long. But uh, it just he's, he's back in the old suit, so maybe, you know, it's, it's just weird. Well, the, uh, the Dead Earth, are, those were Elseworlds, so they don't really count. Yeah, we could say that, although that one did very well, you know, seemed to want to connect. Hmm. And it was written by the Legion writers of the time, so maybe they had plans, like Tom Fire and uh, Tom McCraw had plans for a wildfire to appear soon, and it just didn't pan out. And uh, so it, eventually it was like Andy Lanning and all, uh, you know, th- those guys took it over, uh, brought him back hey, towards the end. That Legion Law and, series was amazing. Yeah. His energies also apparently reached the uh, DC 1 million time frame, uh, where he is wow. called Wild Flame instead. Oh, but it's him. It looks like him. In the three boot, he exists, but he doesn't make the team. It's a similar, you know, it's a similar thing. Is this this time his suit gets pierced, and the Legion goes, "Well, you know, if you're gonna blow up, uh, we don't want you around." Uh, after the New Fifty Two, he's once again a Legionnaire lost. He was in that Legion Lost series from the New Fifty Two, and he was also uh, shown as a Justice League member in the Future's End five years later timeline. Um, yeah, yeah, Wildfire. <laughs> wow. You had to end lot. that on Future's End, really. That's just a bad taste in people's mouth. Well, Ugh. that's 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 where they, you know, that's that's how the Legion stories ended. <laughs> so, uh, oh, is that really where it stopped? Oh gosh. More or less, yeah. So, he's he he's the standing head of the Committee on Membership. Now, as I as I recall, and maybe I just in, in extrapolating his powers, he's a bit of a hothead, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How did he get to be the standing head of this committee? Was it just was that a buy off? Like he had some dirt on somebody, and they're like, okay, fine, we'll give you an important job. Or how did this happen? That's the kind of stuff they don't show. But I think he had an interest. After all, he was one of those legionnaires who got shafted at the tryouts, right? Yeah. And so in his original retcon secret origin that was written by Roy Thomas, I think. It was established that his parents were dead and his whole life kind of ended when he was turned into antimatter. So he was kind of like Element Lad or, or one of the other Legionnaires who had no real life outside of the Legion. And he took it upon himself to be kind of like a big brother to possible other applicants type. And that's where he met Dawnstar and how he hung out with the descendant of Superman. What was her name? Laurel Kent and people like that. Yep. Laurel Kent. Mm. Yeah. So you you've actually got a character that seemed very sympathetic to readers originally because here he is hanging out with the kids who want to be in the Legion and maybe as a reader you you sort of that's you're sort of taking your of yourself as a you know I wish I could be in the Legion too and so you're like a cadet. So that that brought him closer to us and he was very much a more modern looking character as well even though without breaking the aesthetic necessarily and then the whole stuff with Donstar which is just heartbreaking and uh you know uh, so so much angst and so when I was a kid in the 80s yeah, of course I tapped into that. Yeah. Yeah. I you like why. X-Men and you like Wildfire. <laughs> I always wondered why they went in this later direction and made him into a humanoid, though, because that's basically taking and throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, the whole point was that he was in the suit and he couldn't do anything. And then they said, oh, well, actually, you can be a humanoid energy being. Um, but then when you touch your girlfriend, you're going to burn her. Mm-hmm. So what what was the and the aesthetic, the idea that the design is nowhere near as interesting as as Dave Cochran's, you know, 
ERG suit. So why in the world would they have – why did they do that? Well, my, my thought, and this is totally – I have nothing to back this up. Maybe Cisco's got fact. I don't know. Is that at this point, the Legion sales were, were, were trailing. They weren't as high as they had been. I mean, they were one of the number top – one of the top two selling books from DC when the Baxter series launched. By the point of the Magic Wars, when they're redoing the costumes, sales were really low. And so Keith Giffen's come back to the book. He's got a design sense anyway. He likes to design costumes and such. So I got to think it's a combination of all right, we got to refresh the book. We got to get, we got to do something to jazz it up. We got to make some changes. The '80s was all about refreshing and changing everybody anyway. And, and maybe he thought, okay, this is our chance. You know, we've done the "woe is me" suit wildfire for a number of years. It's time to do something different. There's only so many times you can tell that story. And unfortunately, we all want the story of it, "woe is me" <laughs> in the suit. <laughs> well, Shane, that's a great theory, except that your timeline is off because really, when Keith Giffen came back, he actually destroyed this suit and put him back in his original oh. design. Well, who do, who did these designs then? Greg LaRock. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I, Forget the names, but either way, still, sales yeah. were flagging by the time they redid the costumes. And so all, most of that still stands other than it was Keith Kevin. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just uh, what, how long can you go with that same tragic love affair? You, you need to change things up, so give him some hope and then take it away. You know, it's, it's it doesn't – I don't like the change to the character, but I can see why you would try something new from time to time. Even Wolverine got well, a new costume yeah. at, at, the, at the height of X-Men popularity. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that, and I, I think it's one of those like Superman blue, Superman red type things that should have existed for about you know four or five issues, and then it should have gone away, not been like the status quo for a mm-hmm. year plus Anyway. All right. We're going to move on to the last two pages of the, or at least of characters of the issue. So we're going to shotgun through these. They're pretty, pretty minor. So I've got one with uh, a page with three different characters. First character is Worldsmith, art by Colleen Duran. He is a planetary architect who does terraforming miracles using mechanical and psionic powers. And the Legion did defeat him. The interesting thing about him is he left, behind, when he's defeated, he left behind on the terraform planets these uh, statues that look a lot like Easter Island heads. And he is, he's this big, fat, green, blobby guy, except he's wearing what looks like a either a, a cross between a, a pinstripe zoot suit and maybe a referee's uniform. So, yeah. Most, the best part guy. about this his his appearance is that the the art by Jim Sherman is gorgeous. Hmm. That that's the best part of that story. I should mention first appearance Super uh, Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes number two hundred and thirty six. It's oh. the only one. <laughs> yeah, it's just only a prune. Might be the same for this next character, too. Up next is Zira of Mana 5. Again, art by Colleen Duran, and she's beautiful. She's got kind of a, uh, honestly, puke yellow skin color, but she's got on this little tunic, and she's got giant fluffy white hair and some sort of goggles, and the, the tunic and the boots are sort of a lilac color. She's very pretty. And she's a princess, and she's got these hereditary powers over elements, and she's searching for a super-powered mate. Her powers are, are renewed by seasonal rituals, which uh, praise each goddess. And there's some more details to it, but I just kind of got you the gist of the character. First appearance is Legion of Superheroes Baxter series number 33. And it's the only one. (laughs) Yeah, did she ever come back? Because this this whole text is extrapolated out of nothing, because she was one of those Universal Project characters on that prison world, Mm -hmm. and then she disappeared. And she had no backstory, so no name. I think they probably threw her in here because there was a a gap between Worldsmith and Yera. (laughs) I don't even think she had a name. 
name at that time. I was going to say, they, they might have been making up names like, we need another X character. Well, we never na- yeah. gave a name to this one. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Could be. Uh, interesting. The most interesting about thing about her is that she's from Mana 5, which, Siskoid, since you just talked about Wildfire, you know what Mana 5 is, right? Uh, that's, that's the world the where he was yeah. killed or by, yeah. where he released all his energy. Right. That Mana farm 5, world made its debut as the agricultural world where uh, Colossal Boy was almost killed by some uh, rampant robot tractor that Wildfire <laughs> saved by. So it's odd that, you know, two columns later, Mana 5 shows up again. Right here. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on, uh, moving on to the last character on this page, probably the most important character, is Yura. Uh, she's a Durlin, art again by Colleen Duran. And she's, so she's a shape changer. She's absolutely beautiful. She's got, you know, the orange tone of a, a, a Durlin. She's got the pointy ears, but she's bald headed and she's wearing a beautiful purple looks like a like a sort of like cocktail not a cocktail dress but like some kind of fancy dress uh, purple deep purple dress and she is uh, famous for being the wife of Colossal Boy the gist of it was she was an actress as a Durlin and she was hired by some imsking terrorists to replace Shrinking Violet and then as she was posing we've talked about her before on this show but uh, as she was posing as Shrinking Violet she ends up marrying Colossal Boy she's eventually found out and Colossal Boy and her actually stay together and because of this, she's still around Colossal Boy, uh, who in Vi, when she's back on the team, she really hates Yira, uh, sort of understandably. First appearance is, well, disguised as Shrinking Violet, it was Legion of Superheroes number 287, but as Yura revealed in Legion of Superheroes number 305. And I do want to remind everyone that the Colossal Boy-Yura relationship predated uh, the, the relationship between Johnny Storm and the Skrull wife that he ended up taking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I always like Yura. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, because I'm in a international re- marriage myself, and it's just as a stand-in for all the mixed marriages or what have you that that really do exist. I always liked that she was around and that she was uh, married to a Virginia. So, did your wife pose as your girlfriend for a while before she revealed who she really was? Is that how you guys got together? Uh, that's a need-to-know basis oh, question. Terribly and, sorry, didn't didn't yeah. even bring it up on the air. So yeah, sorry. but don't sorry. don't don't most wives <laughs> your girlfriend before. <laughs> I, I, if I, I'm sure my wife will never hear listen to this this broadcast. So I can safely say that my wife is not the person that I married. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, that's fair. Most and again, I, and my wife won't listen to this either. Most women go through that courting phase where they 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 show you what you think you <laughs> they are, and then they life's different. Now the same could be said about the guys as well. I was not inferring that as that was not what I was suggesting at all. That's because you're not married, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not anymore. <laughs> so, all right. all right. We should just move on for both. Uh, well, no, actually. Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah talk about Yira. Yeah, Yira eventually joined the Legion as Chameleon Girl. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. Yes. So in and this wasn't like a gap legionnaire, like you know the ones I've been springing on you. Uh, is she was a uh, she came back during the retro boot, kind of against Colossal Boy's wishes, but she was you know when they, they returned the Legion, yeah. in part through uh, um, you know those issues of Action Comics where Superman. And there's like the Earthman's evil Justice League, xenophobic Justice League. Mm-hmm. She's undercover in Earthman's Justice League. And uh, that's when it's revealed that uh, when she's finally revealed is, is that she, Chameleon Girl has been a member of the Legion during whatever interim uh, has replaced the whole 5YL uh, timeline. By the New 52, she's one of those Legion Lost members like Wildfire, like Tyrock. She's been sent to, to the 20th, uh, well, 21st century by then in New 52. 
So she's been a member of the Legion since they've returned to the original Levitt's continuity. That's fast. I'm going to have to reread that Superman of the Legion story in Action Comics because, I mean, I read it as it came out, and I enjoyed it, and the Gary Frank art was pretty cool and all that. But, like, every time you mention it, I have no recollection of these things. I remember Earthman was in it, and he had his little Justice League and the Xenophobia, but that's about all I can remember. I'm going to have to go back and reread that. Her big moment is a really cringy Sunboy moment. Oh, no. Where uh, he's out of it, and uh, you know he can't use his powers, and they've given him some sort of you know phobia or whatever, and uh, they uh, or he's, whatever whatever's happening, and to make him snap out of it, they make Yira take on a female form that he'd like, a brunette apparently, and kiss him. Hmm. And she's and she's like the reaction out of him, yes. Oh yeah, and she goes, oh, you know, like, and she makes the as I say on the blog is she she makes the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> now now was Chameleon Boy not a member at that point, or was there some now no longer a rule about duplicating powers? I think the rules are out the window uh, by okay. that point because uh, the 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 evil Justice League is sort of made the the legion go underground and i i think all bits are off at that point I mean, are they officially mm. would, a team at that point because they're not allowed to operate on earth i remember but they go underground so they're, yeah, they're, they're underground they're, they're actually on earth but hidden in the old was it the bat cave or something well i, I guess <laughs> i don't know what it is yeah, i guess what i'm trying to say though is are they officially a team with a constitution at that point or are they just simply friends working together and so the constitution doesn't matter at that point well it's not clear because one of the things they do say is that of course they've got a base on earth because the legion according to the constitution has a base on earth oh. so that's how they explain their underground base to superman uh, but as far as why chameleon girl is serving on the same team as chameleon boy uh, we can only presume that the Constitution has been changed because of, uh, you know, circumstances. But I remember, and I may be wrong, but it seems like in those action comic stories, Chameleon Boy wasn't around. So it was kind of like inferred that, that she was a member. But then when the stories, the Legion Volume 6 or whatever it was... And Adventure Comics started up again. Chameleon Boy reappeared. And then I started thinking, wait, how can they both be members? And it was never really addressed, I thought. Maybe she's got a, a trick he doesn't have. Well, Maybe. she does have a couple of them. But, well, uh, I know, because <laughs> Chameleon Boy is always changing it to mo- monsters and animals. But yeah. she obviously has a finer-tuned uh, ability to transform into to mimic people, yeah, mimic mimic people. So that may be the different power. Does Chameleon Boy have a limit for how long he can hold a shape? I don't think so. Because clearly she can do it for months at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, no, I don't. Of course he doesn't, because his whole shape is not his actual oh, that's original shape. That's right. a good point. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, maybe he sleeps in a bucket like Odo, though. Anyway, uh, Shag, did you talk about the art was by Colleen Duran? Uh, I think I mentioned it, but it's. It's, it's really nice. It's nice, and it's really interesting that the wordsmith, wordsmith looks like Jim Sherman, and Zira looks kind of like George Perez, kind of Starfire monitor-ish. That's true. And then Yira looks like Gene Cola, so it's kind of hmm. really well done. I hadn't put all that together, but yeah, you make a good point. It does uh, Definitely the Zira looks very George Perez, Starfire kind of look. Interesting. Huh. Well, it's also possible by that point they, they – because, I mean, they, made, they overturned the rule about no married couples in the Legion, so maybe they overturned this other rule, too. Because, I mean, it wasn't like – Lightning Lad and Lightning Lass on the team together at that point, too? Oh, sort of. Yeah, maybe. So, All right. All right, folks. Last page of characters here. A whole bunch of winners. 
Zal, <laughs> Zal Morgan of Earth. This is another one of the senior class photos. It's a little tiny picture. Art by Grant Meum. He is part of the Earth Emergency Services, which basically is like, you know, call 911. This guy's going to show up. And that's really about all it says about him. He seems like a nice guy. First appearance, Superboy number 240. And he's got his little goggles on. All right. Up next is Zaryan the Conqueror. He's super fun. Art by Grant Meum. His name is Nalrog Zaryan of Brock. And I just love his expression. He's got this like, his big open mouth and he looks like he's growling and he's got his deep set eyes. And then he's got this weird sort of flat topped, uh, cowl he wears that also appears to have almost like eyeballs on the top. <laughs> and it's all purple and he looks very, this is kind of Kirby-esque actually. He's got kind of a great pose. I mean, it doesn't look like Kirby art, but it looks like a Kirby kind of design. And he's like, you know, running at the camera or whatever. Anyway, he is a pirate and, uh, these, these seers from a planet foresaw that because of him, it would result in a death of a legionnaire. So Saturn Girl, uh, tries to manipulate the situation, realizing someone's going to die to ensure that she is the one to die because she wants to spare her friends. She, she tries to get the legion down to just her so that she's the only one who can die. And then ultimately, uh, it, the, it's Lightning Lad who takes the hit and it puts him in a near death coma. Now it doesn't specifically say it, but I got to assume this is the famous coma that Lightning Lad's in uh, with the, yes. which results in the Prodi story after this. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. first appearance is Adventure Comics 304. And it makes him only. Uh, no, actually, he appears quite a bit because he's always in flashbacks <laughs> because he's, he's part of this important story. Uh, but he yeah. does have actual it's not just like memories uh, towards uh, when is it in the 2010s run of Adventure Comics. We do see uh, a flashback. Let's call it a flashback. But you actually see the whole episode uh, over yeah. a couple of issues. Superboy working with the Legion back in the day. And Zarian here is is the villain of that piece and he's wearing more of a battle suit it's more like a like a buffer armor than he is here he looks badass mm-hmm. so he did reappear okay he was also in that ultra boy phantom girl story in secret origins number oh uh, four right. two <laughs> so he was trying you. to steal secrets of earth defense and phantom girl stopped him so he's the most important character on this page he's, a, he's our big For sure. fish Yes, for sure. <laughs> well, I then, always uh, wondered when I when I reread that story though that it says Lightning Lad shot the the ship with lightning and Zarian was killed. So shouldn't he have been you know kicked out for killing? I mean, when he was revived, wouldn't they have expelled him? It's always <gasps> interesting. It says the body was never found, so maybe they were trying to you know uh, have their cake and eat it too. I but it, bl- I think he just blew Cisco's mind. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, moving on from that stellar uh, entry and uh, most important character on the page, apparently, is uh, Zira Voltan. She is a it's a simple drawing, again, by Grant Meehan. It's just her face. She's a pretty blonde or maybe strawberry blonde uh, lady. And she – you talked earlier about Wildfire and talked about the containment suit. Well, the guy mm. who built that containment suit originally built it for himself because he needed it to survive. Well, he gave it to Wildfire out of the goodness of his heart, and that ultimately led to his death. Well, this lady, Zira, is that guy's daughter. So she is mm. resentful of Wildfire because her father died, and then she goes on in efforts to try and kill Wildfire. First appearance is Legion of Superheroes, number 283. It's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Finally, and I do love the way this guy looks. He looks awesome. His name is Zoraz. And he's got a, underneath he's got a purple jumpsuit. And then he's got what looks very 90s-ish, really, ahead of its time. It's like, knock, knock, who's calling the 90s? Can I come in? Uh, two years early. He's got these giant bandoliers on his legs, both on his thighs and his calves, which with cords connecting those, he's got a belt with like this crazy harness. And he's got this enormous, like a Silent Night or Hawk, Hawkman kind of helmet. And it's all gold and, and with huge wings coming off of it. And he's like, Wah! yelling, which I absolutely love. But the gist of it is Zoraz isn't actually a guy. Zoraz is a costume that people can wear for training purposes. Anyone can wear this costume and go up against the Legion, and uh, <laughs> and the gist of it is to help keep the members on their toes. Now, in the in the story, they do mention that Quizlet reduced Zoraz to dust, which is kind of sad. But it's Superboy number 218, and I think he's kind of funny. Uh, okay. That's the story where Tyrock joins the Legion. No way. Zoraz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Absorbency yeah. Boy, of course, it turns out to be Earthman. Right. I remember hearing that. Yes. Okay. But is it the only actual story with Zoraz in it? Because they say all this stuff, which made me go through Quizlet appearances. And there's even a training session, like a backup yeah, that's story. All made called, up. Tra- mm-hmm. You know, because there is a, a there's a backup story in the Baxter series called Training Session. It's a Quizlet training. And it, this is not part of it. So, nope. Okay, so it's all made up. Oh. Uh, yeah, to me, he looks like, uh, he's sort of like, a, um, you know, a Batman action figure from the 90s. <laughs> there was like all these different off-model ones. Yes, it's Viking Batman. Is that Bellum juice like. that he's got, you know, piping into his chest there or something? <laughs> Bane juice, whatever, venom. Bane juice, yeah, whatever that is. Well, yeah. So oddly enough, this whole series starts with Absorbency Boy and also ends with Absorbency Boy. How about that? A to Z. Uh, yeah. you bringing it all together. Very clever. That is why I am the lead and editor of Legion of Superbloggers.blogspot.com. We've never, <laughs> we, we haven't had an election in years. <gasps> That's true. We have not. <laughs> we yeah. haven't got a constitution either, my dear friend. So oh. if you're thinking of writing one, <laughs> I've written many, so I was going to say since we've got a out. passion for them. Now, to yeah. be fair, I don't know that anyone really wants Russell's job because hurting cats is not fun. Um, <laughs> so the, the issue is rounded out, folks, with an index to all the characters featured in this uh, Who's Who in the Legion. All seven issues. They give you the uh, key, like all the various issues and page numbers you can find the characters on. It also functions as a key to this cover featuring 271 characters. You get the uh, very last page, which thanks all the editors and writers and gives you all. All, like corrections to various things and tell you the artists and writers of the cover. But and it and it's in the style of uh, those Mile High Comics ads. Oh, the yellow. <laughs> it is that obnoxious yeah. '80s yellow color, isn't it? That they try to make work yeah. across the page, but you can see the various gradings gradients of of yellow. That's funny. <laughs> Good point. Well, that is it, folks. That is all seven issues. If you're still listening at this point, you're probably on hour six of this po- this particular episode, so you have won a prize. Uh, that prize is our internal appreciation for your dedication to listening to this show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oof. Well, guys, uh, was it worth it? Who's Who in the Legion? Seven issues. Should they have done this series? Would there have been a better way to print it? Um, I enjoyed it overall. My biggest gripe was I had to look up the artists in the, the front page. I don't know why they couldn't have done an art by credit on each page. I think that was kind of silly that they didn't do it. That was my biggest gripe, the whole system. Yeah, there was a lot of that kind of editorial missteps yeah. uh, going through it, like uh, eventually revealing what the color coding was. You know, right, eventually. Yeah. Uh, like in this issue, the, the final, the, uh, the, um, the back cover, 
the inside back cover is uh, it says Legion Constitution still, you know, on the on the stripe. But they're done with the Legion Constitution. This isn't the Legion Constitution at all. It's errata for the past issues, and yeah. uh, also finally revealing who drew the covers of each of the. Of, you know, <laughs> wh- why is this at the back of the book? Why wasn't it in- included in the credits of each book? So there's a lot of you know just just putting it together. There are problems, so that's too bad. Uh, but any who's who is better than no who's who, and Legion is, you know, as we know, one of our one of my favorite franchises, comic book franchises. So that it got its own, you know, they had planned a lot of these little who's who in whatever uh, series according to the original book. That Legion was one of the few that did get the treatment, and it has to present an entire era and world. I think, you know, I think that if you're going to do a who's who, that's not going to repeat every little every beat from the original series. Then doing one for the 30th century makes complete sense, and yes. it, it's not as great as the original Who's Who, but nothing is. So, well, loosely, it's pretty darn well good. Said. I, uh, it, if I if I could go back and change anything, I would take out the 12-page intros in each issue and bring it down by about two issues to about five issues. Mm-hmm. I think that would have made it a little little more compact, a little more concise, and would have made for a little more I don't know reasonable amount to chew on because uh, seven issues is pretty long. I mean seven months worth of doing this thing must have been hard on the reader certainly knows it's been 10 months for us so it's hard on us too so (laughs) (laughs) yeah and theoretically you could have put that information from those stories into entries so the the really important planets could have had their own entries or uh you know that that kind of thing but right you know uh they decided to put a story up front and maybe to make it more palatable because the art isn't quite as Gorgeous as the original Who's Who, there no sub, no no, you know, serpent, uh, and all that. You know, some people only get headshots. So, just to give it more value, perhaps. Eh, I mean, probably experimenting with the format. I mean, they'd done what twenty six, another five, another three or four issues. You know, they'd done what thirty six issues or so of the previous Who's Who by this point. So they're probably like, all right, let's let's play around with the format a bit and see if we can do something different for these team specific issues. Like, you know, maybe they had something similar planned for the Superman and Who's Who, which never came Mm -hmm. to be, or the Green Lantern Mm -hmm. Who's Who, which never came to be. Which, you know, a front front-loaded story might actually be a good idea uh, here. You know, I, I almost would have rather, if they had to do a, a little 12-page adventure with the Legion would have been more fun than learning about their family reunion that no one wanted to attend. Yeah, right. maybe some important what? origins or... Chag, was this the last uh, Who's Who version before the Loose Leaf? Um, no, actually, um, you know, I looked at the timing. I want to say this was happening at the same time as Who's Who Update 88, um, if I remember right. So, oh, right. So I don't think mm-hmm. this was the last one because then what you get is you get the Who's Who Update 89, which wasn't a series, but they appeared in the back of the annuals that year. Right. So you get right. 89, uh, and then, and, and, oof. All right. Now, forgive me. I'm totally speaking out of turn just off the top of my head. You know, Who's Who in Star Trek may have actually been after Who's Who in the Legion. I can't remember right now. I apologize. I, and we can figure all that out and research it in later. But either way, no, this was not the last one before the Loose Leaf. But, uh, the Loose okay. Leaf's, uh, coming for us at least. So before we start talking about that, folks, Siskoid, uh, uh, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the internet two places really uh three actually well yeah i'll let russell talk about the legion of super bloggers where you can also <laughs> find me but uh for me on my more solo projects uh the cisco's blog of geekery is the blog and there's 
plenty of stuff there, 10 years worth of stuff. Just about. Uh, <laughs> maybe 11 by the time this comes out. Hey. Uh, <laughs> well, it's only in a couple, you know, it's, it's soon. <laughs> it'll, it'll hit 11 soon. This will be out in October 2017. And if I have to okay. edit that out because I don't hit the mark, then I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my blog anniversary is in Dece- early December. So. Okay, and then uh, of course, fireandwaterpodcast.com is where you'll find my many podcasts. Find them. I, I won't list them here. There's now there are too many. Now it's yes. ridiculous. Yes, there are. <laughs> you have I, I'm not too much free time on your hands. Sir. I'm not Rob Kelly, and yet. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, it's approaching. Well, I gotta say, Siskoid, uh, it's been a real treat having you on these episodes, and and you should uh, you're being far too humble. You produce some amazing podcasts, sir. You are a fantastic podcaster. You do great topics. I love the season stuff you're doing over on Firewater Presents. Uh, excellent shows, folks. If you're not listening to Siskoid's work, you're doing yourself a disservice. You truly, truly should. And uh, Siskoid, I can't wait for you to finally spearhead this Legion of Superheroes podcast or Legion of Superbloggers podcast that you need to get on. <laughs> Putting a little. Uh, a little thought in your head that you're not going to be able to get rid of. Um, <laughs> Russell, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you and, more importantly, where this podcast should lead them? Uh, besides the Legion of Superheroes, I have a personal blog called Friends of Justice that talks about some of my favorite pop cultural things like Man Bat and Steed and Emma Peel and uh, Motown music and things like that. That's uh, Friends of Justice. Or if you speak Japanese, it's seiginonakama.blogspot.com. But if you type in Friends of Justice, you should be able to find it. Also, I have my homemade satellite era Justice League of America comics that I promise I do not have my angry pants on when I make those up. They're, they're nostalgia, goodness, through and through. Um, that's where I find my joy. But what I do for a living is I am the editor of the Legion of Superbloggers.blogspot.com. We have a different posting every weekday and half for the past four years. We talk about the New 52 Legion, the five-year-later Legion, the Silver Age Legion, the New Legion, have things about you know Dawn Star showing up in Bombshells United, the new DC Comics series that just started uh, last month. And uh, we try to keep our pulse on the 31st century. So uh, if you like the future, come join us, legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. I, I am so wowed and, and so pleased with how, how the longevity of this site, how the stuff you guys produce, it's just amazing. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, thank you so much for letting me dabble and, and be a peripheral involvement in the Legion of Superbloggers. I sincerely appreciate it, guys. Also, we need to thank uh, Zumi Kanori, who gave us that fantastic custom who's who entry for the Legion character, Anti-Lad, that we covered in the first episode of the series. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you guys listening for your feedback, for surviving through six hours of this episode. And uh, (laughs) please, continue to leave your feedback over at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go up to shows, look for this entry in the Under Who's Who, and leave your feedback, because we are going to cover your feedback, folks. That's right. Your feedback from Who's Who in the Legion and Who's Who in Star Trek are actually going to be covered on one episode. That will be the next episode of the Who's Who podcast where we cover your feedback from these two books. And um, Rob will be back with me to cover that feedback. And we're going to bring Siskoid along with us against his will. We're dragging and kicking and screaming for this very special episode uh, because Siskoid has been both on the Star Trek episodes and the Legion episodes, so he's going to be the one who has to answer all the really deep type questions you guys come up with. And also, <laughs> also that during that episode, we're going to take some time to cover one of the most ambitious and possibly insane fan projects I've ever seen related to who. You're going to have to wonder what that is until we get that episode. So done. So thank you again for listening. This epic uh, series 
series has been 10 centuries in the making, obviously, uh, 10 months <laughs> in the making, literally. And uh, again, I apologize for how long it took us to get here. Life got in the way. But tune in next time again, as I said, for the feedback episode. And then after that feedback episode, folks, it is the moment many of you have been waiting for. Rob and I will begin our coverage of who's who in the DC Universe, the Loose Leaf Edition. And we'll be returning to semi-monthly coverage as well. Can't wait. It's going to be an absolute blast. Well, gentlemen, I think that's going to do it. Uh, there's only one thing left to say. Long live, live the Legion. Legion. The Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship?